Hey, welcome to the Art Condition Podcast, a weekly show that will discuss the business, community, and often undiscussed stress and mental health concerns of being a professional artist or even a serious hobbyist. I'm Joby. I've been in the tattoo and illustration professions for 25 years. My co-host is Moose, a data analyst, social media manager, and art agent. If you enjoy the content, please consider visiting the Patreon page and the show notes to help support the effort. Or if that's not an option, please like, subscribe, leave a good review, or just share with your friends. And definitely go visit the links of our guests on this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great day. This week, we talked to Paul Canavan. Paul is an incredible artist with a wide range of experiences in the industry of game design. Having been illustrator, concept artist, and art director, he has a broad perspective and a lot of insight for the aspiring professional artist. We talk a lot about mentorship and what it means to him to help less experienced artists find their way and what the contents of his upcoming formal mentorship program will be. We talk about his experience as an art director, which is, as he calls it, an end game position in the art world. And he has a lot of wisdom to share from that experience for anyone who wants to know more about the professionalism and the fun of working in the game industry. Lastly, we discuss how his career experiences have led him to branch out on his own to develop a new intellectual property that he calls Pale Tides, a gritty gothic horror RPG. And of course, no Art Condition podcast would be complete without a small bit of time spent talking pricing. How to not let yourself be taken advantage of and what fair compensation actually means for an artist. So without any more delay, here's the interview. Hit the record button. Hello. Welcome, Mr. Paul Canavan. Thank you so much for being here. This is an incredible joy. We are very honored to have you. We hope that uh, you have as much fun as we know that we are going to be. Moose. Thanks, buddy. How are you? Me? I'm not important. Talk to Paul. I know. I said I said Moose out loud, and I was like, wait. Why am I talking to you? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fine. I messed it up by I messed it up by like awkwardly kind of like inserting like a hey guys <laughs> into the middle of your sentence. So I, I think it's my fault. I'm doing fine, thanks. Moose, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic, all things considered. Paul, bring us up to speed a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your history, how you got into art, and where you're at today. Oh, wow. Just the whole story. Um, well, my name is Paul. Uh, I'm an artist who works on Magic the Gathering and D&D and Warhammer and other nerdy things. Um, I'm also an art director. I've art directed a lot of cinematics for, for games like Destiny 2 and other ones, <laughs> Guild Wars 2, League of Legends. I don't know, loads of stuff. Um, and I've been working in games and stuff for uh, like 14 years now. Um, how did I get into art? Well, I don't know. I'm, I don't have a very exciting story. I kind of always drew um, classic child. I was always kind of like a creative kid, I guess. You know, I used to draw and write. I loved making stories. I loved creating games, um, forcing my sister to play like role-playing games set in like 
original settings and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I guess like my whole kind of path has just been like an interest in creativity in general, rather than like specifically art. Like I got really into mapping back in the quake days and, um, I got really into sort of painting digitally once I realized that was a thing. Um, I went to animation school because I was a cocky child who thought he knew how to draw already, which is hilarious because I'm a terrible draftsman. Um, excuse me, it was even worse then. Um, but yeah, I studied 2D animation for four years um, and very rapidly learned that I hated it. I didn't hate it. I'm... <laughs> I'm very lazy, and I realized that drawing a thousand things is not as fun as drawing one thing. Um, and so I guess through that, I you know, graduated college, and I was like, you know what? Video games are the thing. That's the only thing I care about. Why the heck am I not? Because like, I, I did the classic um, you know, emerge from university or college kind of blinking and like, trying to work out what I wanted to do. I was like, I'm going to be a video editor, a professional drummer, because I play drums, um, I mean, obviously. Um, uh, or I guess I could do art. And then at some point, yeah, my brain was just like, art's the one you like. Games are the one you like. Go and, you know, do that. So I did. That's my story. <laughs> do you, I can go into more detail about anything there. That was a very kind of uh, broad overview, but pretty much that's what happened. I, I have a couple of start. I have, a, I have a couple of tangential questions. Um, mm. I'll try and make them not too big of a diversion. You said that you're a terrible draftsman. Yes. What? I'm not a very good drawer. Yeah. And it's always interesting to me when people make that distinction or, or they have that distinction. And it's, it's not so much that like it's so amazing that people would not draw as well as they paint or vice versa. Because I definitely I feel like I'm a far superior draftsman than I am painter. So what is it that you think that gets you to one place or the other sooner than another one? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think, I think from my perspective, it's like a kind of fundamental laziness. Uh, my, when it comes to art, my approach has always just been, kind of throw stuff at the, the canvas, be it digital or real, um, until something emerges. Like, I, I think when I was young, I was really, really uh, inspired by, you know, quite chaotic art. I loved futurism, cubism. Um, I loved kind of impressionism and post-impressionism. And I, I liked stuff that was like a bit more kind of visceral and thrown together. Um, and like going in with a pencil and drawing you know, detailed anything um, or, or, you know, being particularly great at anatomy, any of those things kind of never really clicked with me for whatever reason. You know, if, I, if I'm sketching, if I'm doing subway sketches or something, which I don't do, but for some reason I've chosen that as an example, um, you know, like if you looked at my sketchbook next to someone else's, mine's like, you know, pencil kind of rough shapes and, 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 and forms because I, I need to... I need to make a bunch of mess to start to see what it is that I'm trying to do. Um, so I, I think that's what I mean by not being a pretty great draftsman. I just always kind of gravitated towards a slightly more chaotic art approach. And I, I still have that now. I mean, if you ever look at my sketches for magic work, it is, I mean, honestly, it's mostly indecipherable. <laughs> I have to do like a whole cleanup pass to give those sketches to my art directors. 
Um, yeah, <laughs> so I, I think that would be the distinction for me. I'm just not I'm not a great drawer, uh -huh. um, but I can bring something together. You know, I can bring an image together in like hopefully quite a, a fun way, maybe. Yeah, I mean, this might be an, an odd follow up to that, but like looking back, would you would you do it? Would you think that there would be some advantage to doing it to, or to spending more time on you know developing draftsman? chip skills because well, I don't know one thing that you sometimes mm -hmm. will hear artists say uh, to beginners is that it's like really important to like know the fundamentals of drawing first you know and have like a really strong grasp on that you, yeah. you managed you managed to skirt past that so <laughs> if you're talking to beginners about yeah these kinds of things what 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 are your thoughts on that I still recommend people learn that stuff. I mean, I definitely did a lot of life drawing and a lot of um, a lot of the fundamental stuff. Like bizarrely, the, the fundamental thing I'm probably best at um, is probably like perspective drawing. I've always, for some reason, found perspective really easy to work with. So I could technically do you know fairly technical perspective drawings um, if I weren't so lazy. Um, but no, I think when it's talking to students, I still recommend getting that you know basis in you know getting those fundamentals down. I think the thing as well, though, my approach to education has changed as I've as I've become more uh, experienced or, or you know done more talked with more students, looked at more portfolios, you know, done a lot of done a lot of portfolio reviews at this point. And um, I think my advice usually, and this is getting a bit tangential right now, so I'll like apologize, but no, like no just to kind of finish the point. Um, my advice is pretty much always like do the fundamentals, but no matter what, just do whatever it is you enjoy. Like if you just really hate anatomy and you just have no interest in doing it, just you can skip it. <laughs> you know, you don't have to, because I, I think something that happened to me was that uh, maybe one of the reasons I always skirted around art. Um, like I said, art was never my kind of focus. My focus was like creativity. Um, in general, which sounds a bit wanky, but like, you know, I like making music, I like writing. Uh, drawing was fine. It, to me, it's just another form of communication. Um, and I still feel that way. Like drawing is probably the the way I'm most comfortable communicating outside of this, like talking. Uh, I, I'm, you know, reasonable at or, orating, I guess. But um, yeah, I, th I think, you know, if, if you're not interested in a specific thing like I was, like you can get through it, you know, and, and if you are put off by that, you know, it's not the end of the world. You know, if you don't like drawing cars and you really hate perspective, like, you know, try and stick at it for a bit, come back to it every year, but like, you know, do your own thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. You have to be having fun. Having fun is a, is a crucial yeah. part of anything. And I, there's always, when, when people ask me, how do I get better at drawing or how do I get better at art? I have a lot of like very dry like kind of like rote repetitive exercises that I like to re recommend, but then like always underscore that with like, Hey, draw the fucking robots and the dragons and all the stuff that you enjoyed <laughs> drawing as much as possible. And just do this as like warm up exercises or something. Cause if you just did this, you're, you're just going to hate it. Anyway, speaking yeah. of teaching, you're, yes. We wanted to have you on here in part because we knew that you were launching a mentorship soon. So we wanted to ask you some questions mm. about what, what mentorships were. And uh, first off, like what distinguishes a mentorship from like the free learning materials that you can find online, like Control Paint or you know, what other YouTube videos you can find? Yeah. 
That's a good question. Uh, I mean, in terms of mentorships, yeah, that's something I'm definitely looking to do next year um, on a very limited scale. But to me, I think a mentorship just kind of adds in that personal element that doesn't really exist in a tutorial. Um, you know, you can, if you want to get good at using 3D in a landscape setting or whatever, or doing like illustrations using 3D and 2D, go and pick up Aitan Zana's tutorials and you'll learn how he does that. But I think the thing you would learn if he were to do a mentorship would be he would be talking to you about like what you actually want to get out of this and leading you through it just a little bit more. It's a little bit more guided. Um, and I think they both have their merits. I think, I, I mean, I've consumed both over the years. I've done several mentorships myself with, with, um, with uh, a bunch of artists whose names I will inevitably forget now that we're doing this on video. Um, but, uh, and, and I've bought a million tutorials as well over the years. And, I, and for me, they fulfill different purposes. Um, I find tutorials really, really useful for just learning a new thing um, or maybe getting a slight insight into an artist's brain. Uh, but I find mentorships obviously just vastly more useful in terms of uh, exploring something because of the ability to give feedback. You know, there's a massive difference between, you know, sitting down with an artist who you respect and having the opportunity to say, uh, to ask questions or post work and have them, you know, uh, judge your work or critique your work. Um, I think a lot of us at this point kind of tread the balance. Like, I mean, I certainly do with my Twitch channel. Like, I, you know, do paintovers and all this kind of stuff. But, like, a mentorship is that extra level of, like, I'm going to be giving you homework and you're going to have to do it. And, like, I'll be checking up on you and making sure that you're happy and that it's going well. It's, it's almost like bringing, you know, from my perspective, it's like bringing the art direction part of my job, which is, mostly like working with people and making sure that they're happy into um you know teaching them something they want to they want to know Does that make sense yeah um so it sounds like it's like an instructor like like in a college or something but is it ever like too early to get a mentorship or is this something that uh, someone would want to be more advanced before they start reaching out to somebody for more tailored that's a really good question um i think I think it probably depends on the mentor um, and to some degree on the mentee. I wouldn't mentor a complete beginner probably because, um, and like like you said before, Joby, like there's a certain point where if you're looking at a portfolio, you can tell like there's, there's either the, you just need to do more fundamentals and come back in two years path, which is like 30, 40% of portfolios I review are just like, you're going in the right direction. I have nothing to say really, you know, you're doing good work. Just keep on keeping on, you know, that, that's a huge part of it. And they wouldn't benefit from a mentorship with me, probably. Um, to like people who are maybe starting to set their sights on, on clients, maybe they'd like to work for, or they have like work in their portfolio, but they're not quite sure, you know, what to put in there or where, where they're going with that. That's for, for me, that would be the kind of people I'd look for. Um, but other mentors maybe are better at, at fundamentals, for example, like Matt Corr does control paint, I mean, that's going to do a lot for you, but it's still not going to be the same as sitting down with like a Glenn Vilpu or, or like a Proco or someone who's like a really, really talented um, artist at one thing who could probably take you on for like 12 weeks and be like, turn you into a life drawing master. <laughs> you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do that because like I said, my fundamentals are all over the shop. <laughs> um, so it's, I think it, again, it's like a personal thing. I think it, it depends on the, on the mentor and a little bit on the, on the mentee as well. So in your case, uh, what kind of a person would you like to mentor? Um, 
I mean, f for me, it's it's pretty broad, honestly. Um, the kind of people I'll be looking for will be people who've been doing this for a couple of years at least, you know, like who have have a portfolio, right? You know, and I know that sounds like a low barrier, but you'd be amazed how many people apply for jobs who don't have portfolios and um, who like try and get portfolio reviews when they don't have portfolios. Both of these things have happened to me. You know, someone comes up and is like, can I have a portfolio review? And you're like, yeah, of course. And they sit down and they've got like one drawing and like, or they've got like one painting and like 10 drawings. And you're like, okay, well, this is not necessarily useful. So for me, it's someone who probably, like many of the people in our sort of community, our sort of joint community, I guess, um, have been doing art for a bit. They know they want to make it their career because that's important. Um, like being dedicated to wanting it to be your career, I think helps a lot. Um, but that's kind of it for me, honestly. Like I, you know, I've worked, I've been lucky enough to work in, you know, I've been a concept artist for many years, I've been an illustrator for many years, and I've been an art director as well. So I kind of, I feel comfortable um, taking on a lot of different types of artists, I guess. Um, and yeah, so does, again, does that answer? <laughs> like quite a range yeah. of artists, to be honest. But um, it def definitely like there's a, there's a level of a beginner artist where I would feel bad charging them to, for advice that they could get anywhere else, you know? So like, I, I think people who are wanting to get a mentorship with me specifically um, would be people who would like to work on Magic the Gathering or work in video games as a concert artist or you know any anything like that um i feel like i can offer a lot it starts to feel like an advert for myself though which feels weird so you know i try and give a lot of this sure. away for free because i like helping people oh, it, it, it's that's perfectly fine hyping your own awesome stuff is very acceptable it, i am wondering though um you know about what you said about <laughs> so I, i'm I don't mean to laugh at them, but just for whatever reason, it is hard to say it without a straight with a straight face, you know, like getting a portfolio review without a portfolio or asking for a job oh my <laughs> without God, a portfolio. So but it makes me yeah. wonder if there if there is even a place for maybe mentor isn't the right word, you know, but for a guide that can help people in that position to just be like, OK, here are some things that you need to build up to like. Just like yeah, you're right now. You're kind of like at a very beginner status. Here's some things you need to get start getting into place, and then here are some things that you mm -hmm. can do to start working those things in. Or, or do you think that that's just sort of yeah. like that's going to come by way of interacting with peers and stuff anyway? No, I think that's good, uh, and I think that's something that can be done via a tutorial. And actually, mm -hmm. like to continue right. the pimpage, that is something I'm planning. It actually is. I've always wanted to do a how to be an artist video, like uh -huh. like a full on like, look, here's the basics. Here's the stuff you need to know about, you know, how to build a portfolio, like how to choose what you want to do. Um, and I think I always struggled a little bit to find that, like, where does that end and where do mentorships begin? Um, so it's still something I'm kind of working out. But I, I think most of that can be done through, yeah, through tutorials, um, stuff like that. Because honestly, most of that stuff's just like, you know, how to send an e email, you know, that's like a 10 minute video, right? You know, uh, include the person's name. Don't say someone else's name. Don't say someone else's company because I've had those many millions of times. Include some art. That's good. You know, um, that's all kind of basic stuff that I, I, yeah, I definitely think people should have access to because, you know, I'm sure it's the same for you. 
a lot of the questions I get asked are like how to price things, um, how to talk to people about pricing, like how to, you know, I get buddies a lot who will just be like, hey, I need to send this email to, I'm going to apply for this job. How, what should I say, you know? Um, and my response is, you know, I'll obviously help them, but like often I just say, look, I spent like five years trying to figure this out. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> just try stuff. It's, you know, like all of these skills to me are exactly the same as developing your art skills, you know, learning how to send an email to a client, learning how to express your personality in an email, learning how much of your personality to put into an email is stuff that, you know, is very individual. But I think it's like a few guidelines can definitely help for sure. Yeah, that's that was all the last week we had Sam Fraser on and that was all about that. So anybody that wants to know more about that episode number 16, go back and listen to all of that. But anyway, I love Sam. Sam is a beautiful creature. He was brilliant. Yes. God bless him. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, prices. So that segues in this part. What's the price of a mentorship? I know um, mm. I saw Evan Amundsen. His is like $700. And I've seen others for uh, 300 And that's more like a beginner level. So what's like a normal range for a mentorship? <clears throat> that's a good question. Um, I I feel like I need to do research on where things are right now. Um, 700 bucks seems to be like a pretty common one for like a five-week mentorship maybe. Um, I don't know how long Evans is, but I'm guessing he probably based those prices off, um, oh gosh, what's that website where they do mentorships? Um, CG Society maybe, um, I forget. I wrote an article for Imagine FX like 10 years ago talking about this. If I could recall that information, <laughs> uh, that'd be really useful. But um, I think, yeah, I think 700 bucks is like quite a common one. Um, I think it, it often depends how long it's going to go for. Um, I know five weeks is a very common one. I think my one is going to be probably two months, so eight weeks, uh, and probably about a thousand bucks um, somewhere around there. Um, but I think I think a lot of it just depends on what you're planning to cover because um, at least the way I've been kind of going about it, I feel like the more uh, targeted and the more kind of you plan to, the, the more interactive you plan it to be, the more you can probably charge because, um, you know, we, I, I think a way we commonly do this and certainly the way I, I will do this is I'll be breaking down my time, you know, to like, if I'm spending an hour a week reviewing your work, that's an hour of my time, which costs blah. Um, and then, you know, working out kind of that way, um, kind of like any other job, honestly. Um, that's how I would approach it for sure. But I think 700 is pretty common. And uh, Joby, I don't know where that number came from. <laughs> it's now standard for just because it's been used so many times, like with uh, Steam taking 30%. Yeah. Now everybody takes 30%. Yeah. Um, exactly. Joby, you uh, took a uh, an artist workshop with under Paul Richards for 10 weeks, and that was what, $1,000, $800, something like that? $750. So, mm. And that was with the discount, though, wasn't it? Mm, no, I don't think so. Oh, I remember there being an early bird discount. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Oh, so it's a, it's a, maybe it's a, <laughs> I don't, I don't remember. Dude, that, okay. that, dude, that was like more than a month ago, man. What are you trying to do to me? It was uh, about <laughs> 12 months ago. If you look at it, but, uh, anyway, uh, the point being is it, it's a, uh, it's similar to what you would get for a course uh, at, a, at a major um, workshop academy. So, yeah, 
I think I think it's kind of it lives in that wheelhouse. Um, and at a certain point, a lot of this stuff comes down to like pure uh, financials and how to sell stuff because like it's probably worked out that like seven hundred seven fifty is like just a good number where people aren't so intimidated that they would be if it was a thousand. You know. Um, so maybe it's something to do with that. But I, I feel like a good mentorship should kind of act like a course. You know, the mentorships I've done, I did a mentorship with David Long at Blizzard on uh, map painting. Um, and that was like five weeks long or something like that. And I think that was about 700. And that, you know, that was a full course. That was like a, here are your introductory videos to map painting. Here's your homework. I'll review your homework. You know, it's, it's all the stuff we're talking about. Um, and my approach as an, as a, as an artist has always been kind of any time I could afford to do one of these things, I would do it because I've always kind of, you know, associated, you know, just knowledge and spending money on courses with, with value. Um, even if it meant I'm often poor and living off tins of beans, uh, which has happened many times in my, in my art career. Um, but you know, for me, it's always been kind of, you know, I've always had my sights set on 10 years from now. Yeah. And if anybody is listening that, is hearing a number like, you know, seven fifty, a thousand dollars, or you know, God forbid, you get a, a mentorship with uh, uh, DeSantos, and it's like two thousand, twenty five hundred, or whatever. Just keep in mind that, like, if you're going to like an art school, well, crap, it's going to be at least that much, probably significantly, way, way more. And the value of having a one-on-one experience, you know, with a highly seasoned professional, it a thousand dollars is cheap. Like in the long run, you know, in the long run of your mm-hmm. professional art career, a thousand dollars is going to be pennies. And the amount of value that you'll get from it is, I mean, it's going to last you the rest. It's going to pay dividends continually. So, yeah. Yeah, it's. I feel like we're also just living in a wonderful time for education. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I myself am very jealous of where this is because, like, when I started learning, you know, when I got into concept art, you know, none of this stuff existed. <laughs> you know, we had Nomon did videos, and that was it. You know, um, and whereas now, like, your advice is perfect. Like, I I would advise most people thinking about going to to university or college to do to study art, like, just get schoolism subscription and get a mentorship with someone whose work you really admire who can maybe like take you under their wing a little bit um yeah that feels really valuable um did you go to art school yes i did but i'm from scotland where it's free (laughs) damn it so (laughs) yeah we get free education in scotland so i went to a really good animation school um which was very cool and um yeah i was very very privileged in that way scotland's great come to scotland it's like america but it's better can i say that probably not (laughs) it's probably true at this point Uh, aren't you moving to australia though hold on a second what's going on (sighs) he's also not currently in scotland too (laughs) that's true i'm also not currently in scotland so i i appreciate my homeland wherever i am (laughs) yes i am in australia for a bit but uh (laughs) That's beside the point. Scotland's great. <laughs> I, I did want to ask, you know, what should an experienced art, artist consider uh, before starting a mentorship? I think it's better to phrase it as what were you considering when you were deciding whether or not to start a mentorship? Hmm. 
Uh, honestly, most all of all of my mentorships were just any time that there was an artist that I really wanted to talk to and learn from directly. Um, I didn't really think about much beyond like, you know, I want to learn how to matte paint. Who's good at matte painting? Googles. David Long did all of those Ice Crown Citadel. He did like the Ice Crown, you know, the Wrath of the Lich King cinematic and like all this stuff for, for Warcraft. That's the one I want to talk to. I want to talk to him. So I'll do a mentorship with him and it means I can talk to that person and learn from them. Um, yeah, that, that was pretty much always my thing. Like, for example, for I, I don't consider my, I don't hold myself in the same regard as these people because I'm not like at that level, I don't think. I, I do, you know, I, already, I do different things. I'm very much a jack of all, tra of all trades. But hopefully the people who would want to do a, a mentorship with me would be people who have maybe watched me on stream and know that like I have the chops to do this kind of stuff. But um, maybe also that like my whole thing is making the experience like really comfortable and, you know, and giving giving them a taste of what it's like to work with me as an art director, for example, which, you know, no one, you know, in my community really has, apart from a few artists who've worked with me at like Axis Animation or other studios. Um, so yeah, my, my thought process would just be, if it's an artist I really respect and I feel like I want to learn more from them directly, like that's a, that's a good call. Um, yeah, I've kind of always done that. I, I've done the same for um, events as well. If there's ever been events in the world where there's an artist I really respect, like Carla Ortiz, she was on my podcast um, a few weeks ago. Um, I mean, I traveled to Trojan Horses Unicorn in 2015. Uh, that's an event in, in um, it was in Portugal. Um, pretty much just to watch her talk. <laughs> I was like, Carla's doing a talk. Carla's my favorite artist. I'm going to Portugal. I'm going to find a way to afford this so I can go and like speak to this person. Um, so I've kind of, again, always done this with my education. If, if there's someone I respect and want to learn from, and if there's any chance I could scrape together money to do it, um, I've always done it. So it, to flip this question around, uh, for someone that's considering offering mentorships, should they hmm. worry about how big their name is or any other considerations before trying to start one? Um, I don't, I don't think like having a big name is necessarily the thing. I mean, obviously, if you have a following online, that makes it easier to promote stuff. But um, I, I think it's it's complicated with that kind of stuff because like students including myself, always want to teach other people. It's more like, are, are you comfortable teaching? And can you, do you feel that you can offer value to people? Um, and I, I feel like that should be the consideration. And maybe if you find that hard to judge, you should speak to friends about that and ask them, honestly, you know, like, I'm thinking about doing this, do you, you know, and, and talking through and trying to work out exactly what the value proposition is. Because like for me, I've thought about doing mentorships before, but it's only now that I'm like 14 and 14 years into my career that I'm like, okay, okay, now I feel like I could actually take someone from this point to this point. Like I feel like I can see that journey now. Um, so yeah, I think if you're thinking about offering mentorships and you don't have a big following or anything, that's fine. But so long as your work is really good and you're like a good educator, I, I guess. Um, you know, I probably think I'm a better educator than artist in many ways <laughs> because I like talking to people and, you know, helping people. And there's certain things that I find comfortable that maybe other people don't. Like I find paint overs or um, critique really comfortable because I've done it for ages, um, you know. Yeah. You're very, you're very good at it. Not to butter you up or anything, but it's 
worth noting again to you know people listening in the future that might be considering something like this you're you have a, a a very soft touch um and you can make somebody feel great about their art while still breaking it down i was going to say tearing it apart but that's <laughs> we'll say <laughs> while tearing them to shreds <laughs> yeah we'll say we'll yeah. say breaking it down into you know the into the fundamentals kind of like where things might have gotten off course and you know helping them get back you you leave them better than you found them which is i think a critical part of um giving a giving a, a really good really good critique do you foresee your your uh your mentorships being um like strictly based in technicals or will there also be space for you know a, a finding your way sort of thing you know like what what do you ultimately want to get out of art or you know what do you want to focus on yeah. what's going to be the right area for you honestly the latter massively because i again i feel like anytime i do a portfolio review a huge part of it is talking to the person and getting into their brain a little bit and making sure that they're going in the right direction um you know for themselves as much as anything so i think you know rough structure for mentorships for me is going to be kind of like i do when i do the portfolio reviews on on stream it's just like what do you like what do you want to do you know it's like a bunch of questions up front to kind of gauge like you know who are you what are you interested in okay now show me your art and that's usually the bit where you're like <laughs> you know i'm i want to be a concept artist in games and I want to do this, and then and you're like, okay, now show me your portfolio. I love doing that, like <laughs> the reveal thing, because you, you get the you get the conversation initially to set up the expectation of like, okay, so this is going to involve concept art, and then you get the portfolio, and it's like, there's no concept art there, and you're like, okay, <laughs> and that's when you know, for for me, for mentorships, a big part of it is going to be that it's going to be like, all right, let me teach you what you need to have in your portfolio, and let's start taking what you have uh, and twisting it in the right direction. And creating new art to because my, my goal basically, you know, if people are trying to work out what what my ideas for mentorship are for myself, is taking an artist from the point where they start, where they've got a portfolio that has whatever in it, and coming out of it with a portfolio that they can start pitching to jobs, you know, like actively pitching at jobs. Mm -hmm. Um so that that's kind of why that like fundamental requirement is kind of there. Like I need to be able to see that you're at least at a level where I can take you on that journey. Um, because if my advice is just going to be, okay, spend two years doing fundamentals, that's not, you know, I'm not going to make anyone pay for that. Um, but yeah, the, I, it's it's a combination. It's it's technical stuff to some extent, but honestly, I think most of the technical stuff is best done through trial and error. I prefer to to say, you know, you know, let's sit down and for the first session and figure out what you actually want to do in your heart of hearts. What, what is it you actually want to do? And then, okay, let's make a plan for how we're going to do this. These are the pieces you're going to have in your portfolio by the end of this. We're going to establish this right now. You know, you're going to have two character pieces. We're going to do breakdowns for those. We're going to do two environment pieces. We're going to do breakdowns for those. And at the end of 10 weeks or whatever, however long it is, that's what you're going to have in your portfolio. Now I'm going to help you get there, basically. Um, that's that's kind of the way I would like to structure it, I think. So it's, it's very much technical, but also personal. Because um, that's how I work in studio as well. If I'm working on a cinematic, um, you know, my, my role as an art director on cinematics is very much like being the guy who comes in at the start with the director, establishes what the thing looks like, does all the concept art up front, or like a lot of concept art up front. And then the rest of the project is like 
talking to the team to help them achieve that, right? It's like, how do we make this in CG, you know, at a Pixar quality? Um, so my job is very much sitting down with artists, sitting down with lighting artists and being like, these are the concepts for the scene, you know, how, how do you feel about that? How do we help you get there? Um, and it's the, the same throughout the process, pretty much. So we brought you on for a lot of different reasons, for a lot of different topics. But before we change gears, do you have any questions, uh, uh, further ones for Metroship, Joby? My hope is that Paul will be on many, many, many times. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> You're never leaving. No, but in in seriousness, it's a yes, but I could go all day. So. Yeah, let's talk about some art director stuff. Oh boy. Ooh, so, so what's what's the fundamentals? Like, what roles does an art director fill? Uh, are they a creative decision makers, or uh, do they just enforce design pillars that were decided on by higher ups, or are they outsourcing managers? Some combination. Yeah, some combination, really. Um, art director, like many roles in the the industry, which I'm using to include like any, any entertainment product, really. Um, the role kind of changes depending on where you are, you know, AAA, AA, <laughs> indie, uh, you know, publishing. Art directors are completely different in all those roles, just like producers, you know, on a game are completely different from producers on a film. Uh, for the most part, uh, at least in my experience, art directors usually are in charge of helping to establish the vision for a project with the higher up folk. Um, and I, I'll give you some examples in a minute, but um, just just as a kind of overview, you know, establishing the art, what what thing look like? Step one, what thing look like? <laughs> Step two, how we make thing. Step three, telling team how to make thing. Step four helping team make thing. That's kind of like the, the art director process for, for most projects that I've worked on. Um, to give you some specific examples, um, art direction in an indie studio, uh, I was working kind of as an art director slash concept artist, because often the two cross over. Not all art directors are 2D artists. Um, the, the role in video games doesn't actually require you all the time to be an artist. Um, some art directors are technical artists, you know, who, you know, are just really good at 3D or, or shaders and shit like that, um, but are maybe good at leading because um, those leadership qualities come in, you know, throughout in every facet of this job. Leadership is important. Being able to talk, um, but yeah, in, in in indie studio, my job would be very much like working with the kind of higher ups to establish how we do this thing for this game. Like, what does it look like? What are the references? What are other games that do similar things? You know, how do we do this? Working this out in a little group and then going to the rest of the team, get, you know, doing the concept art, maybe bringing on another concept artist if you can afford to, which you usually can't in AAA or in uh, single A. Single A? Uh, you know what I mean. Um, and then, you know, my my role would switch to kind of like design and, and all that sort of stuff. Whereas in AAA, especially in cinematics, my role there is very much like, um, again, establishing that that look at the start, but then usually bringing on concept artists to work with me to produce work, um, which is appropriate, you know, to lead the team through the production. Um, so it's kind of a mixed a mixed bag of usually concept skills, either visual or just like being able to think of stuff, um, being able to direct people. 
um, you know, being able to help people and show them, be able to stand up in a boardroom in front of like five key people on the project and then five people who aren't on the project and like exp express to them why your vision for the project is the right one, um, which can mean loads of different things. I mean, I worked on like a Legacy of Kane game, one of the millions of canceled Legacy of Kane games. And that was one of those like, we're going to be pitching this to publisher. They don't know anything about games. They just know the IP and they want to make sure that, you know, they get their investment or whatever it is. Um, so like, how do we pitch? How as an art director do I design uh, a direction for the game to go visually um, and then express that as simply as possible uh, through images and maybe through slides and maybe even by going to them and talking to them. Like I've, I've uh, there was a Netflix show I worked on um, where I literally went to the direct, not the director, but the writer, their house in London and had to pitch to him with the with our director, like our vision for the show. So it's, it's very much like a, um, it's in the trenches, but it's also like working with the kind of the heads of, of whatever the production is usually. It sounds incredible. It was all over the place, but it's complicated. <laughs> yeah, it sounds incredibly intimidating. It's like my, mm -hmm. it, in my mind, I'm trying to stay calm on my out, on the outside, but in my mind, I'm I'm panicking by proxy. Like it just sounds like so is. I imagine you yeah. just get used to it, or does it take a certain type of um, person, constitution mm. going into it to be like, I I can handle this. <laughs> it definitely doesn't because like like for context, I'm like an anxious wreck. Um, I have you know social anxiety, general anxiety. Uh, you know, I'm anxious now, even though this is really chill. Um, so like doing pitch work and, and going to studio stuff is is very very scary for me. Um, so it is very scary, and I will say that having done, you know, six AAA cinematics or something like that, um, or something like that, however many, um, I'm always as nervous pretty much through a production. <laughs> um, the one thing that it, that you do get more comfortable with, or at least that I get more comfortable with, is reminding myself that my vision is good, um, which took a long time. Um, and a lot of like working on smaller projects and taking them to, to finish. Um, so like, for example, I kind of cut my teeth, so to speak, in the indie game space. Um, I was a concert artist at uh, Blazing Griffin, which is a small company in Edinburgh. Um, and, uh, you know, I worked on some small mobile titles and that's where I kind of started to assume more of a director role because the only reason really is just because like, I was the person, I was the 2D artist who could do lots of stuff, right? Um, if you work in indie, um, and I always go on about, about this in my streams, I always talk about how great indie studios are. Uh, Carl and I talked about it as well. Like in an indie studio, there usually isn't the budget to have like a big art team. Um, you might not even have a 3D art team. It really depends where you are. Um, and so like for me as a concert artist, I just, excuse me, I ended up assuming that role of like, well, no one else is doing this. So I'm going to do the logo design. I'm going to do the cover art for this thing. I guess I'll do. I'll work on the UI with our with our UI artist. I guess I'll. And at that point, like, at some point in the production, you're like, oh, this is kind of my thing now. This is kind of my vision that we're doing. That's cool. And then like the game comes out, and you're like, huh, like I made most of that. Like visually, <laughs> obviously none of the game. I made none of the game, which is most of the product. But um, I think I had that happen a few times where like I started to drift more into this like, I'm the person who feels comfortable 
if you sit down, if you were a client with me and we were working together and you were like, hey, we need to make this kind of game, I'm at the point now in my career where I'm comfortable being like, cool, I already know what that looks like. Here's what it looks And I'll go off and do the concepts for it. Um, so I think that's that. Like that's the version of confidence I have. It's not necessarily confidence in my abilities as an artist. It's more confidence in my uh, ability to to assess assess something, assess a project or an IP, um, to work through it in my head to understand like what what the what the community wants. You know, like a, a big part of this is just being kind of engaged you know if you want to work in games as an art director you better be playing games as an art director um playing games watching films uh, just absorbing stuff so that you can be the person who's like uh you know we're doing a cinematic for league of legends what if we push it in this direction what if we you know people are people are fucking fed up with this thing what if we don't do this or like we did all this kda stuff people love this what if we push this stuff in that direction as well um and just having the confidence to see it through i guess so I like, can talk about the confidence part forever because it's really interesting to me. Yeah, we so. can get right back to it because I do have a follow up to it. But uh, someone in chat mentioned, uh, would creative vision be creative vision artist be like a good title for an early on uh, art director role? Like, as, as in like assigning that to yourself, or, or right? Or... So that like at the beginning of the project, they come to you and ask you what what's the project going to look like, and you tell them. So creative vision. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, I, I think I think one thing I would say is it, it's even the examples I gave there made it sound like it's just like the art director on his own. Usually, it is it's a combination thing. Um, uh, but uh, so the creative vision I would say more comes from like the group of people. Um, you're just the one who's putting it down on paper. Um, but yeah, like creative leads, creative vision. I, I can see all of these kind of titles working around that. Um, yeah. Does that answer the question? I wasn't sure if yeah, that was really yeah. like, yeah. Okay. Um, I also did a poor job of reading because I tried to make it shorter than the yeah. But anyway, no, uh, the uh, going back to uh, nerves and uh, confidence, uh, is it sort of like a fake it till you make it situation? I had a colleague um, at work who uh, every time uh, she would put up a suggestion, you would hear her voice kind of creep back and you'd see her start looking around and uh, looking for waiting for somebody to tell her why the idea was bad. And nobody ever would. They were always good mm -hmm. ideas. So at one point, I went to her and said, hey, um, you're a senior uh, member of this team. And uh, I you know, did this all politely and stuff. But uh, I asked her, like, um, is there a reason why you're uh, so nervous about uh, you know, putting up suggestions? Because you're putting up good suggestions. Everybody thinks you're doing good suggestions. So if you are the one to inspire confidence in other people, then you know, have confidence in yourself. I yeah. don't have a question in there, but it was just a, something for you to. No, no, I think, I think, no, no. I mean, you kind of did as well. Like I think you're, you're kind of fake it to you make it thing kind of is true. Um, I'm nervous about giving that specific advice because I can obviously only speak to what worked for me. Um, lots of people have anxiety. Lots of artists have anxiety. Um, and I think people find different things useful. Uh, from my perspective, I didn't really acknowledge that I had an anxiety disorder until only a few years ago. So I was mostly just like, everyone gets this nervous. Everyone's freaking out this much. Just fucking have a shot of rum and just fucking try your best, uh, even if it makes you feel like you need to lie down for a year afterwards. Um, so I did kind of just force myself into those situations when I could. Um, 
I think when it comes to AAA side, then yes, you need that confidence because oh my god, uh, you know at that point I I don't even know the budgets of most of the cinematics that I worked on, but they are we're talking you know tens, hundreds of thousands uh, to make you know to make a big AAA cinematic for a project. So like that is that is a, that is the the ultimate test I would say it was the, the biggest test I've ever done for sure. Um, I'm not working on any cinematics right now because. Best believe I'm taking a break, but um, that is the ultimate. Like, like I was saying before, like I know that my vision is good, but this is the job where I have to remind myself of that every ten minutes because I cannot falter on this stuff. Like, I, I can't sit down. You know, we working in, in cinematics. You know, at, a, at an animation company, you know, we're we're playing uh, examples of what we're working on. We're, we're doing week, weekly reviews with like the, the, the founders of the company, you know, the people who've been there since day one. Uh, we're, we're being picked apart in a good way. Like we're being constantly critiqued because you're, you're working on like Magic the Gathering cinematics. You're working on League of Legends. You're working on like the biggest IPs in the world. Um, Blizzard stuff. We worked on Heroes of the Storm and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so it's the most, from, from my perspective, and other people may not have felt the same way because maybe they weren't as anxious as I was. It's the most grueling thing I've ever had to do to sit to sit in a in a beautiful indoor theater because of course we had like huge screens everywhere and sit down with concept art that I've done along with a director who you know who I probably know but maybe don't know very well and be like, this is good, <laughs> like because that's pretty much. That's what the process is. It's like, you know, sitting down with them and, and saying, like, here are my concepts for this. Let me explain why this is good. And then if they're like, why did you do this? You have to justify it. You have to talk to them. You have to work through And they're lovely. Access are, like, one of the nicest companies I've ever worked with. But it's a very scary experience. So I think a little bit of that fake it till you make it thing is important. You, you definitely need to be able to... Um, I mean, one thing I'll say, to, I'm getting... I'm bouncing around these topics, but one thing I will say is you're not going to be an art director until you've put in a lot of time in the industry. You know, it is one of those kind of end game jobs, right? So you have time to develop those skills. If you really want to be an art director, um, you have five, 10 years to develop those skills. Um, and the skills that will help you are going to be communication, learning how to be calm under pressure if you can, uh, and just, learning who you are as an artist as well, because the way I act when I'm on stream or, excuse me, when I'm on this call is just how I am. Like, I, I just try and be myself mostly, and I try and be thoughtful and friendly and nice, um, and I do the same in my job. And, like, you need that time to learn, like, what does that mean in the studio? Because there's one thing having someone assign you an illustration for a book, and you give them a sketch, and they go, yeah! And then you give them a final, and they're like, yeah! Um, that process is so different <laughs> to like working on a cinematic, which maybe the whole thing comes together in three months. You know, it's They're fast, really fast. They're really expensive, and there's a lot of amazing brains working on that thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a different experience. I'm wondering if um, you've alluded to it you know, th throughout that, um, maybe to focus directly on the concept of imposter syndrome for a minute. Cause you know, that's something that 
artist that that's a universal maybe for I would love to meet the artist that has successfully fully conquered their imposter syndrome or maybe I wouldn't because no they, you wouldn't yeah they'd be a huge take. asshole right <laughs> <laughs> all right take that back but with that in mind and also remembering what you just said you know that art director is end game stuff we're not going there tomorrow you know as a newcomer mm. to you know the, this industry or you know, whatever but are there are there lessons in that for you know newer artists you know what are some things that that you would say to um artists who aren't quite at that level yet but are dealing with this in themselves you know what are some sort of like you know practical functional things that people can do what's what are things that people can start doing tomorrow to help cultivating a healthier relationship with their imposter syndrome oh geez um <laughs> i <laughs> the biggest question of all time. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff. I think uh, to some extent it's inevitable and accepting that is important. Um, more than anything, I think finding like-minded people who are at a similar level to you and getting, getting comfortable critiquing each other and talking to each other uh, is, is huge. I mean, that's why I created, you know, the Nice Friend Club, my super community, I uh, imagine that's why you have your community as well. You know, like um, having a space where you can share your work and share your fears and, and talk to each other and be humans, I think is incredibly valuable. And it, and it will teach you the skills as well that you need to be an art director. You know, again, art direction is all about communication. And even though some of the stuff I'm saying here might seem really, really obvious, uh, a lot of artists have terrible communication skills. And I, I did to some extent. Like I, I'm, I was a little different because I always had like a bit of a kind of, theatrical you know not not theatrical but like I, I always have a kind of rock star personality right like i grew up playing music and i always just wanted to be on stage always wanted to be have fans and all this kind of shit you know even, even though i still have imposter syndrome for days like i always had that drive to like i like the limelight you know and i'm comfortable you know talking about it and admitting it because like ego is a part of being an artist um, and i find it really interesting i find my own relationship with ego really interesting as someone who is not confident in their work, is not confident in very much, but knows that they enjoy, you know, getting up there and talking to people and, get, and loves being on stage, loves, um, you know, whether I'm sitting down to play a 40 minute prog show with my mad band, or I'm going up on stage to talk about art or whatever. Um, I love it. Like I love doing this, for example. So I think in terms of dealing with imposter syndrome, it's just a case of finding a community of people who you can be honest around and who will help guide you through that as much as possible um and like the 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 internal part is just accepting it honestly um learning to accept that that is part of the process that you will often feel like that but also writing it out to learn that like it does go away as well um you know sometime comfort you know this is this gets into the whole you know the, the the flow of art you know as you as you progress and then you you start you start feeling really good about your art and then you kind of dip and you start feeling crappy about your art and then you kind of go up you you're always going up it's just that over over you know you constantly dip um, i feel like i feel like that's the same with imposter syndrome you know you're going to feel more confident in yourself sometimes and then you're going to feel crap sometimes um i think learning to look after your mental health is really important because Artists have a lot of issues. <laughs> I don't know any artists who don't have anxiety, ADHD, 
like some some form of anxiety you know I, I think it's it's so so common um or even just like people who are like naturally kind of introverted um if you ever want to work in a studio uh, especially if you want to be in a leadership position these are things you're gonna have to tackle but again it doesn't have to be overnight you know it's stuff you can work on you know just through reviewing each other's work on a on a on a discord community or um yeah just hanging out with with, with people and sharing your stuff you mentioned uh, most artists being terrible at communication, and most of their experiences with art directors will be, you know, trying to contact them for work. Are there mm. any like checklists that artists should have before contacting an art director for freelance work? Oh boy, um, the do's and don'ts of contacting an art director. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. That's one thing I'm not even sure about. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about it, but I, I don't know if I know the do's and don'ts necessarily because I have very rarely contacted art directors. The reason being they're really busy. And unless someone is putting out like a message to say they want to look for people, I generally don't. I wouldn't want to like... Yeah, I have a complicated relationship with this because... The times that I have contact, contacted art directors directly, um, one was Kate Irwin from Wizards when I wanted to work on D&D, and one was um, my art director on uh, Warhammer stuff. Um, and both times I had an in, um, and that was the only way I felt com confident or comfortable doing that. Um, like I was able to say like, hey, you know, my partner worked with you on this, or, um, you know, I, someone such and such came up or, or I, I heard that you're hiring for this and I just wanted to say that I feel like, you know, I'm at that point, you know. And both of those times, uh, I was very confident in my ability to do the job. And I, I, and this is a definitely a tangent. We can talk about that as well if you'd like to, like how to know when you're ready to get hired for a job because that's obviously like a whole thing. Yeah. Um, but both of those times, I was very confident that like, I was like, I'm ready for D&D now. Like I probably thought I was ready for it ten years ago, and I was completely wrong. But like now, I'm now I really think I am, um, and I've worked on magic. Like now, I'm comfortable sending that email. Um, you absolutely can email art directors, and I know some people do advise that you do. And that's why I'm kind of unsure about this because, like, maybe I was just being, excuse me, overly tentative about it. Um, more often than not, I would. If a company was hiring, I would send an email to their art drop or to their, you know, the usual through the usual communication methods, um, and maybe mention the art director in the email. But I, I very rarely have directly emailed an art director. Um, now people do. I apologize if this is a bit all over the place because, like, again, it's not something I'm necessarily comfortable with because I'm just not sure. Um, I do get emailed about jobs sometimes, and like, I certainly don't mind. Um, so yeah, grain of salt on that one, <laughs> uh, or pinch of salt with that one. You heard um, it here, folks. First, uh, Paul loves to get emails asking for jobs. <laughs> I, I honestly, I I, do, I really don't mind. I, I find it quite flattering. But I will say that like art um, art directors on magic or something like that, or like a big project like that, where they are. Um, maybe working on 400 um, commissions over the course of like two months uh, or 200 commissions. Someone's messaging my Discord. They should stop. Um, 
someone who's doing that, like the, the chance of them reading your email is so small and, you know, and it won't necessarily be a great, great time to do it. Um, you know, even when I'm working on magic, I very rarely email my art directors. Uh, you know, I, very, I try to email like Cynthia as little as possible when I'm working on magic stuff because I'm like, uh, I don't want to disturb her. She's busy, you know? Um, mm. So yeah, maybe not the right answer. Other people will give different answers. Um, I will say that knowing the name of your art director is useful. And if you are confident that you have the skills to do the job, there's probably nothing to lose from that. That's what I would say. Like if, you, if your folio is ready for that, uh, if you're ready to work on magic and you are able to speak to a magic artist that you know and they give you the email address of one of their art directors, that's probably fine. Um, but I wouldn't go around just blasting emails at every art director myself. But again, it's very personal, I think. And also, uh, I've heard, uh, similarly to uh, you saying other artists suggest um, emailing directly, I've heard other artists suggest uh, not even worrying about if you're ready or not before you uh, submit your portfolio. Mm -hmm. Some people will be way more tentative and be several years past being ready before they even submit their portfolio. Yes, that's, that's very common. Um, and I'm going to say a thing, which is very much my partner, Alicia Hannigan, approved. Uh, women do this a lot. And that is not a sexist thing. That is just like a, dudes are idiots and honestly have so much like confidence um, that it, like they'll send off their portfolios when they're nowhere near ready. Whereas a lot, a lot of women I know waited years after they were ready. I think it's just like a, 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 a shitty cultural thing, which we need to get rid of. Get rid of the confident dudes. Um, and let, get more people to send their portfolios because um, it is it is totally a thing and like you, you're absolutely right um, you can send your portfolio before you're ready for the job um, getting hired is is a complicated process honestly because a lot of it skill is definitely part of it but a huge part of it is also um, luck <laughs> you know sometimes if you're if let's say I'm working at a game studio and I'm hiring for concept artist role. Um, and maybe we also have like a junior art. No, no, that's not, not even that. Let's say I'm hiring for, a, we need a concept artist and we need a 2D artist or a, or a UI artist. If you apply for the concept artist job and you're not really there for the concept art, the conversation may go down in the studio like, well, you know, maybe we could fit them in here or maybe we could fit in a junior, um, junior role. So I, I see no problem applying for general jobs if you're not there yet. It's more like if you're applying to a, a specific art director specifically and you're not quite there yet, I think it, that's shakier ground for me. Um, but again, uh, caveat again, like this is such a personal thing uh, well, I, that I have. I'm, I'm curious about that because you, you said that you, know, you haven't actually e emailed art directors very much, but you've worked for I mean, the, the list of, um, you know, top of the mountain jobs that you've been on speaking from the perspective of, you know, somebody that's like looking at like these heights that they want to reach. Um, how do you, how do you get those? How have you gone about getting those jobs if you haven't been talking to art directors very much, or maybe I misunderstood what you were saying? No, I don't think so. Um, it's a combination of things. Uh, a lot of the time it's recommendations from people I know uh, or people I've worked with. That's a huge thing. You know, that's one of the reasons I always 
tell people more than anything to just be nice and <laughs> just mm-hmm. be polite and be nice to work with if you can. Um, a lot of the time, uh, like, like for example, when I started out, a lot of my jobs, a couple of jobs came from my friend Ben Andrews. Um, he's like senior at uh, CD Projekt now, but um, at the time he was working, he was working for a indie studio in Scotland and uh, he was just wrapping up and we were just kind of friends online. And he was just like, I made Paul's available, check out his work. And I basically slid into his seat when he left. Um, and like a lot of my jobs have come around that way. Uh, it's, I've, in fact, in fact, I would say the vast majority. Most of my jobs come from either people seeing my work online, um, you know, they see my Twitter or, or uh, ArtStation or whatever. Um, so that, that's where the kind of usefulness of growing your community, growing your uh, social reach and becoming comfortable, you know, posting work online and talking to people becomes, you know, important. Or they came through friends' recommendations or me reaching out to friends as well. Um, for example, if I've got a buddy, let's say there's a project I want to work on, uh, chances are if I feel like I'm ready for that thing, I'll shoot them a message and say, hey, by the way, I'm, I was thinking about the, applying for this. Do you have a contact? And that's when I might speak to an art director because, again, I have an in at that point. You know, That's like what I was saying before. Um, I, I prefer to speak to an art director if I already have an in with that person. Um, you know, like I, I can say, hey, my buddy Ben mentioned that you were hiring uh, and said it was okay to email you. I hope that's all right. Here's some of my work. Uh, or... Um, yeah, I mean, pretty much, pretty much just that, you know. It's just u- utilizing your friends and, and expecting them to do the same as well. Like, um, if I've got buddies who are looking for a job and they message me, they're like, hey, you know, you know, I'd love to work on D&D. Do you have any suggestions? Um, which is the correct way to go about that, by the way. If you, if you, unless you're really good friends with someone, obviously. Um, if we're, like, mates and you're like, hey, I really want to work on D&D, I'll give you some advice. But if your folio feels like perfect for D&D, chances are I might email Kate or someone and just be like, by the way, you know, I've done this with a couple of friends who are you know, more than at that level, um, and I just want to see them working on that thing. Um, yeah, sorry, I went all over the place with that one. <laughs> but, no, no, no. Uh, yeah. You, you, you definitely you, you took us there, <laughs> for sure. Um, <laughs> in the chat, there's a, a good question. Um, I think it speaks to how much you can have on your plate, you know, and you've been you talking about being an art director and how much you'll be doing there. And my impression is that even outside of your roles as an art director, you stay pretty busy. So Don Lee is asking, uh, how do you manage your work slash art time and time to care for yourself? Mm. Uh, I don't. Uh Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the answer to that one. I'm very bad at caring for myself. Um, I, I, I've i always been a hard worker, mainly because uh, I gain a lot of pleasure from making stuff. I'm very bad at sitting still. I'm very bad at not creating things. And it's only gotten worse over time. It's only gotten worse as I've like learned to do more stuff. So I'm like... Oh wow! Now I can do three D. I could make a film in three and like you know my brain uh, work, works at a million miles a minute. I do have ADD uh, for one thing. That is absolutely a thing, um, like diagnosed. <laughs> um, so uh, my brain does naturally bounce around between things. But yeah, I've always like for example when I was art directing, 
those projects. I was also working on freelance outside. And in fact, all, throughout my entire career, anytime I've had a day job in a studio, I've always been freelancing as well at night. Um, wow. To varying degrees, I would say. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I've burnt out a few times in my career. Um, and I will almost certainly die within a year or two. But <laughs> until then, I, I'm enjoying the ride. Um, I, I do try and be better at, you know, my, my main stuff I've, I've done over the years. Um, I've fallen off the last couple of years just because of complexities in, in existence. Um, but like going to the gym was, was, I used to be a big, uh, gym rat. Um, that was kind of one of my ways to essentially meditate through moving metal bars around. Um, and you know, I would, excuse me, do yoga, I used to do yoga, stuff like that, you know? So I, I, I find ways to fit that stuff around. Uh, but for me, I'm just happiest when I'm creating stuff, um, whether you know, I, I don't need that much downtime. I'm you know I'm I'm the kind of person I get up really early, you know well not really early. I get up at like seven or eight a.m. That's that's my time. You know, make a pot of coffee, sit down, and I'm like, it's time to make some shit. <laughs> and um, I'm probably making this sound really like cool and like something aspirational, but like it's not always. Um, I like I say I do burn out sometimes and. Uh, you know, I've had periods in my life where I've just not been able to create anything because I've been so tired. So it's not something I recommend, but it just for whatever reason seems to be something that my brain can do or yearns to do. Um, yeah. It doesn't <laughs> so it's maybe sound... a personal thing and not something I would recommend. No, and it doesn't sound like you're like glorifying the, you know, workaholic ethic. And not even that I'm calling you yeah. a workaholic, but there is maybe some lessons. I think that's probably a okay. <laughs> well, at least you said it. Not maybe, wait, I did <laughs> I say it. So maybe then there are some <laughs> lessons there on the other side of that. What would you? What have you done in the past to recuperate and recover from burnout? Like knowing that burnout hmm. is a real risk. It's going to happen to more people than it should, but it's going to happen. What do you do to hmm. bounce back from it? Honestly, I, I think, you know, I, I am a big advocate for exercise and for just getting out, out when you can. Um, again, I used to be much better, better at this, um, but, you know, finding ways to get moving and go for walks and finding, uh, as well, finding other forms of entertainment creativity, creatively, wow, or otherwise that you know don't re require you to be in front of your computer, for example. So, mm -hmm. for example, um, one of my projects, the is the kind of main project I've been working on the last few years, kind of sprung up because I was quite burnt out at the time, and I wanted to create a project that wasn't an art project. Um, you know, and and what it turned what the way that worked out for me was. I found kind of the perfect balance because it tapped into my need to create stuff. Uh, because like, there's no point in me trying to not do that. There's no point in me trying to turn my brain off. I cannot have a holiday. Like, I'm not the kind of person who can just like switch off and chill out and play video games all the time. I will go. I'll last about five hours. I'll play WoW for five hours, and then I'll have come up with a new idea for a film I want to direct, <laughs> and I'll start casually scribbling down notes in my journal for this film that I'm going to make or whatever it is. So I kind of accepted that like 
that's not ever going to go away for me. So finding myself a project that wasn't art-driven um, actually turned out to be really good for that because it let me kind of get around the burnout because I was able to go out. I went out for walks every day. Uh, I'd walk to a coffee shop and sit down and have like a big-ass cup of coffee and just start making notes and, and writing. And it was all writing-based and game design-based. Um, and for me, that ended up being my version of a holiday, which I know sounds ridiculous. But you know, the workaholics holiday is just like a different kind of work. <laughs> um, that did it for me. But in general, like I love just going for walks. I love seeing friends. I love playing video games. Um, playing music was a big one for me for many years. Um, you know, anytime I was getting burnt out on art, I would just switch focus to like <sighs> pushing my music stuff more. Um, and uh, yeah, just getting out and about. One thing I did want to say though that kind of bounces off this. Um, I find this topic really, really interesting, and it's one that is literally impossible to talk about on Twitter, um, as you may have seen. Twitter discourse has become difficult to navigate uh, at best. I don't know what uh, you're talking like about. Art Twitter. <laughs> art Twitter is an absolute disaster. But one thing I will say, um, and it's something I feel the need to reiterate every now and then, um, that while I definitely, definitely recommend people really look after themselves, and really take care of themselves on this journey. And again, make friends and make sure your friends know when you're doing too much and when you're hurting yourself. Um, you do also have to work really hard in this industry. And the reason I'm saying this is that I think sometimes that message gets a little bit lost um, because while I don't recommend burning out at all, and I don't recommend necessarily taking the same path I did exactly. Um, I would definitely do it the same way again, because I probably got where I am now because of some of that. And I think as a community, we are very scared of admitting that like, sometimes you do have to work really hard to get where you want to be in life. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, so long as you're taking care of yourself along the way, you know? Just as like the crunch discussion in video games is really interesting to me and to anyone who works in video games, because most of us have had positive experiences with crunch at some point. At some point, <laughs> it's just a very difficult thing to to discuss uh, online, uh, especially with a lot of people who've probably never worked in a studio before. Um, and I'm happy to talk about any of this stuff. I just wanted to kind of put it out there, like, like don't burn yourself out. Take care of yourself. You know, lift weights, go for walks, meet up with your friends. But also do accept that like you probably will have to work pretty hard and it's probably going to suck for a few years because uh, building a career in art takes ages and it's really hard. Um, yeah. Yeah, it it's um, one of those things where it takes an insider perspective to really be able to talk about it. And, and so much of the conversation that happens on Twitter is from people that just don't know what they're talking about. And yeah, and that goes for a lot of things, you know, not just the pros and cons of studio work or whatever, but it's so, so many things. And, and I mean, yeah, and I, I, one of the things that I like, well, I don't, we shouldn't say that I like to say it, but the, the straightforward way to put it is like, nobody like owes you anything. You know what I mean? Like it, you, you have to be, you have to want it you have to like want to do the work and you have to enjoy all the things that come with the work. It's not a pick and choose kind of thing where it's like, well, I'm going to do this and that, but all that other stuff over there, that's, that's not for me. Well, then that that's okay. But maybe there's something else that you want to do. That's, that's okay. It doesn't make those things wrong. Yeah. Anyway. 
Yeah, 100%. Um, it is difficult to talk about, but I think it is important. And the way you said that is perfect. Like that, that is 100% the thing. Um, I think it's just good to occasionally remind people <laughs> and to be honest about it. You know, I, I try and be as honest as I can about my experience and like where I think it went wrong, but also like the positives that came out of it, you know? Um, and it, it, we're in a little bit of a tricky situation right now where expressing that stuff, um, it's easier for me cause I'm a white dude. So like I have more privilege than anyone in the world. I can say most of this stuff on Twitter without a hate mob, uh, and thus, that's, that's what I do. <laughs> that's why I try and say this stuff, because, like, Lord knows uh, a, a lot of my friends have tried to say similar things before. Similar lukewarm takes, like, you got to work hard to get a job, and just being eviscerated for it. So, you know. And yeah. simple things like, you got the charge enough to live on, and people yeah. do the best of that. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's a whole thing. <laughs> anyway, I, sorry. I didn't... Uh... <laughs> like fully start to appreciate that not everybody on the internet who gives out an opinion is actually worth listening to. I didn't understand that until I was like 25. <laughs> well, it, I mean, like, again, I, I can go off into tangent time with this stuff as, for, for days, but like we are living in a, it's the first time I guess our, in our, in our, our lives or, or like in human lives where everyone has had a podium on which they can stand and everyone can be listened to. And uh, it turns out that's not necessarily good all the time. <laughs> sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And uh, yeah, often it's bad, it turns out. Um, yeah. Good. Oh, I don't know. I was just I was just going to say like uh, 145 characters or I don't, I don't know, maybe they, did they bump <laughs> it up? What are we at now? 200 characters on Twitter? Anyway, it's a terrible way to try and express yourself. And you know, especially like when it's a, a, a complex concept and when you are seeing opinions yeah. on the internet, it, it's important to n take note of the fact that anybody can put their opinion on the internet. It's just, it's, it's the ultimate megaphone, you know, it's a, it's an opinion yeah. with a universal adapter. You can plug it in anywhere and everywhere and it's, everybody can see it. And so it, everything has to be taken with a, with a grain of salt. That's why we do this, yeah. and that's why we want to talk to people like you, because this is where you know the we can get a little bit closer. You know, not that your word is law, but we can get a little bit closer to oh, no. the, the the truth through through conversations like this. But anyway, all right. So uh, getting back to it, um, there's a mental health aspect that I didn't really uh, consider when it comes to um, contacting ads, where some people will not even bother sending art directors emails because they're afraid that they will not get a response because art directors are notorious for not responding to emails because they have so much work to do. Yeah. So what advice would you give to somebody who is scared of not receiving a reply and getting that rejection through a mission? Uh, I, I think just don't expect to get one, honestly. Um, I think, yeah, yeah. I think, I think you shouldn't honestly expect to get a reply. It doesn't mean that they didn't like your work. It doesn't mean that, they hated you. It probably just means they didn't have time to write a response. Um, again, ADs at Wizards, I think their art drop gets hit like I know it's multiple. I know it's hundreds of times a day, every single day. Oh my god! Applications. Yeah, I've heard a number like that before. That so I, I 
don't get nearly that many, and I still don't respond to most emails because I just don't have time. Um, so I think just don't expect it, honestly. Uh, and it, it, again, it's nothing to do with you. Um, and, and the same goes for rejections as well. Um, if you just get like a blanket rejection email, which is the more common way to do it, like, you know, we've reviewed your portfolio and we're going to go with a different person at this time, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't necessarily mean your work sucks. In fact, it probably doesn't. It probably just means that either someone else was better for the job, someone was closer. Uh, and by the way, sorry, I should break that down more. Better for the job doesn't necessarily mean a better artist. It might just mean they had examples of work in their portfolio that naturally aligned with the project, um, and you didn't. You know, uh, you, uh, one thing I preach about is that you know doing work that is in the style of the stuff that you like and also the stuff that you want to work on is huge. <laughs> it's really important because if you can show an art director that you understand the project uh, through your art, you're way more likely to get the job than if you're just an awesome artist and you're expecting them to just kind of put two and two together. Um, that's the thing. So yeah, if you do get a blanket response, it could just mean you know someone else is better for the job, someone was closer, someone answered quicker, uh, or they're not taking the job anymore, and it's just a blanket response. You know, it can mean a million things. Just don't expect a response. Don't expect to get the job. You know, temper your expectations, and um, accept that reaching out is a good thing. You know, sending your stuff it will put your name in the short-term memory of the art director and potentially longer. If your work's really, really good, um, you know, I can't tell you the number of times I've got a portfolio from someone and I've been like, wow, holy crap, like, who's this person? Okay, well, I don't have anything for them right now, but, like, we'll keep their, we'll, we'll bookmark their art station. You know, I'll send it to my head of art and as a, like, potential for a future project. That kind of thing happens. Um, so... Be confident in sending your work to art to, to studios, um, especially those that are hiring, but also ones who aren't. Um, and just don't expect to get a response. It does, it's not personal. It's probably just they don't have time to respond. Especially after this uh, latest round where uh, there was a rumor going around that w Wizards was having an, either a new IP or looking for a lot of artists for a short term. So there, like on Twitter was everybody saying, hey, submit your portfolio. You know, And so I'm sure yeah. they got dumped on beyond normal. <laughs> Yeah, I can't even imagine. I can't remember where that came. I'm pretty sure, like, didn't Randy say something about that? I think, I think Wizards definitely has been like staffing up for projects, but like, they have a huge pool of artists already. So it's like, it, it's it's such a weird one. <laughs> it's such a weird one. But I think I think there's no harm in sending your work. That's what that's definitely definitely the case. And also, there's no harm in sending your work again after a certain period of time when you have new work in your portfolio. Um, yeah. Leisha Hannigan in, in the chat, who also serves in an art director role, is saying that um, she do she files all application emails into a folder. So she doesn't miss any of them, but she doesn't get to reply to all of them. So that sort of speaks to you know what you were just saying, where it's like just because you don't get a reply doesn't mean they haven't noticed you and they aren't filing it away for yeah. for future use. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you just have to think about how long it takes to write an email, even to just be like, hey, such and such, thanks so much. It's not quite right right now. Blah. Like doing that 10 times is exhausting, let alone doing it 50 times. Even um, even if you're cutting and, and pasting yeah. a, a, a pre-written, if you have to do 200 and you work at Wizards and you have to do two, you're not going to control V yeah. and hit send 200 times. No, it's madness. <laughs> 
Um, sometimes you might, some, uh, one, one thing I will say actually, my first, when I applied to work on D&D, the first time, uh, I was already working on Magic at that point, so I, I already, I was already in their system. So again, that's why I felt more confident applying to them at that point. Um, I, uh, my art director did respond to that one, and she, she was just like, "Look, I don't have any work for you right now, but thanks for sending this in. I'll keep you in mind." So like, that was even as an artist on already working on Magic on one of their products. Um, you know, so much, like I said, so much of it is about what happens to be going on right now and if you're the right fit. Um, and I emailed her again, I think six months later to say, hey, just as a reminder. And that time she was like, oh, actually, we're just doing a push for this right now. I can probably get you onto this. So there's something to be said for an element of persistence. Uh, but again, I think that's one of those things that's easier to leverage if you know you're at the point where you could work on that product, or you, or you believe that you could, um, which I did at that point because my friends were all saying I could. Have you ever have you ever come across examples of approaches to art directors that have been sort of like a little bit more unique and like help the artist stand out? Like understanding that no matter what you do, you may not be right for the project, but but maybe something nudged you a little bit higher and just in their awareness because you sent them flowers or something <laughs> no i've never had anything like that um that's one of those things that's like so personal um and it is the kind of thing that wouldn't work on me personally not flowers but like the, the what you're saying like mm -hmm. some people try to be very clever with their applications and try to do really funny like portfolios uh and try and lead with like personality first um and that falls real flat for me <laughs> <laughs> like, like that's just gonna elicit a massive fucking groan for me because I'm just like, just show me the art, just you know, like <laughs> we'll figure out your person because that's that's the way it goes is like I want look at your art first. If art is good enough, read your about page. If that's fine, let's check out their Twitter or whatever and make sure that they're not like some nutcase. Uh, like there is like a process to it. Um, so I, 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 I think. I think if you can express your personality through the way you talk in a simple way, in a short email, I'm a big advocate for short applications. You know, hi, Paul, or hi, whoever. Let's say I'm applying for a job with Leisha. Um, I would just be like, dear Leisha Hannigan, um, I really love I, I love your work on Humblewood and I've always wanted to work on something like that or I've always wanted to work on it. Uh, here are some things I've worked on. I've attached some examples of my art, thanks. You know, that that's like the email. That's about as much as I would ever put into an email to an art director. Um, and I, would, I wouldn't I would do any crazy flourishes. Other people may feel differently. Some people, I, I know artists have, there's always stories of like, I sent my portfolio burnt into wood, wrapped in a crocodile's skin two wizards of the coast uh, and you know i got hired the next day like maybe that has happened you know <laughs> sure i'm sure that has happened at some point well maybe that one has happened but i'm sure people have done similarly extravagant things and it's worked for them but for the most part you know focus on doing good art keep your email simple and um like we're saying except that you might not get the job and you might have to try again in in three months when you've updated your portfolio. The last part being really important. Don't just keep saying the same thing <laughs> again and again. If it didn't work the first time, chances are it won't work the second time. Uh, you can include bits, 
your best stuff, but um, you know, showing progression, showing updating, showing showing that you're working is important. I think. So earlier you mentioned that uh, you had been working on Pale Tides, your IP, and mm. uh, you haven't launched it yet officially. You've just been casually talking about that you had been working on it. Uh, yeah. What factors did you consider when uh, deciding, you know, what you did or did not want to be in your IP? Hmm. Well, gosh, um, PT came about because um, I've worked on a lot of games now, <laughs> um, and I've always been interested in game design, but I've never worked as a game designer in a studio before. Um, but I've weighed in on game design on stuff over the years. I've always felt like I have some comfort in it. I really enjoy it, at least. Um, and just that and being kind of fed up working for people, <laughs> honestly, um, which I know sounds very silly and very rude and very pompous. But at a certain point, sometimes you'll work on a project and, you'll, and you will literally feel like, like, I think I know better about this thing. Um, and that that's not necessarily an ego thing. That's often like a, a level of comfort with certain things. Like there's some projects I've worked on where I've been like, I feel like my vision for this thing is better than what we're doing. Um, I will say that's probably happens less often than, than not. Less often than not. Less often than, it doesn't happen that often is what I'm trying to say. I'm not, <laughs> I, I generally have like a pretty realistic uh, view of where I am in the situation. And I like to work with people who are way better than me. And that will always be the case. But um. With Pale Tides, I felt like I'd worked on a lot of projects where I was just cringing at creative decisions, as were other members of the team. And I was like, you know what? I'd really love to just do my own thing, like build my own world, you know, do all the art direction for it, and then bring on people who are way better than me at like the art and the writing, um, and just like try to lead a project and to to create my own my own thing. Um, and like I said earlier as well something of a kind of therapy piece where getting away and focusing on mechanics and world building um, and maybe it's just some of the stuff that I believe in very strongly as a game designer or as a as a game player as well um, that I see done poorly often you know even, even little things like being able to step away from the idea of publisher interaction being able to step away from or step back from a lot of the kind of stuff we just do in games. Because like, if you work in video games for a while, you'll know that like a lot of stuff is just done because that's how you do it. You know, we include a thirty-something-year-old cis male protagonist because it's going to sell copies, um, even though the research shows that it doesn't matter that much. Uh, but this is how it's done. You know, like the, this is what the publishers think. Like. Uh, you know, I be able to create my own IP where I don't have any of those constraints, and I can like do exactly what I think is best. And if it fails, then I'll know that it was my fault, you know, and not someone else's dumb idea. Um, was really, really appealing to me, basically. Um, and that's what it's been. It's been like I, I've been toying with it for a few years now, maybe three years. Um, in the background, sometimes it's snuck forwards into the foreground. Um, I think next year is going to be the first kind of big development year for it. Um, but it's just been very pleasant for me to work on a project with no deadline where I can spend a week pouring over the mechanics for this thing and 
where I can come up with the ideas for character creation and I can sketch some stuff and then I can just put it away and come back to it. Let those ideas kind of percolate and, and develop. Um, just things I've learned from my own creative pro process on, you know, as an artist as well, like stepping away, stepping away is something that's really hard to do in a studio. It's really hard to do on a production. Um, you know, if you're working on a video game and you've got two weeks of pre-production, it's real hard to say, hey, I've got all these cool ideas. Can I just like take a week off? <laughs> and like, I promise they'll be better by the end of that week. Like, no, that doesn't happen. You know, you, you run with stuff that's underdeveloped. You shine it up. You tweak it. You know, it's, it's a messy process. So it's, it's been really, really fun just having a thing that is mine that I can just devote boundless time to. Um, while I will say still having my experience in the publishing side and the marketing side to like pull it back together again. So like I will have a producer come on at the right time. I will have, you know, uh, other game designers working with me at the right times in production. It's not my, my thing alone. Um, yeah, very roundabout answer for that one, but, uh, it's, it's my baby and it's a chance to make a, make a, make a beautiful art baby. Um, that can we, I hope will be, yeah. Sorry. Oh, yes. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I, I spoke over you at the end a little bit, but can we talk a little mm -hmm. bit more about what Pale Tides is? Uh, can you just bring us up a little bit on you know what the what the concept yeah. is and where you're at in the process? Yeah, of course. Um, so Pale Tides is a horror role playing game, uh, tabletop role playing game. So uh, not one of these Vigi games. Um, the setting, without going into specifics, it is a original universe, original world, loosely inspired by ours in the sort of 16th, 17th century. Um, very witchy. It's, it's all about witches, really. Um, and the church, and uh, a kind of interesting blend of like the reality of, you know, the witch hunts and the Inquisition and stuff like that, and a fantastical representation of that stuff, which bleeds into inspiration from your Lovecrafts, your Bloodborns, your um, your uh, Gothic fantasy, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so that's like a rough idea of what it is. Um, in terms of what it is, it's like uh, basically me as a as a game design nerd uh, trying to write all of the things I think are bad about other role playing games. Um, as someone who's a fan of D&D, but always finds it needlessly complex, as someone who's a fan of Numenera or other Cypher games, but finds certain aspects of those systems irritating or, or maybe just a little bit too greedily for my liking, it's kind of my, my, my attempt to create a game system that works, that just fits directly into the world. The two are just like completely interlinked. The concepts from the world are completely matched to the concept of playing the game. And the idea is that through playing the game, you should feel part of the world in a way that you don't often in role-playing games. So it's a very heady, <laughs> very heady goals, uh, which are gonna require a lot of work to streamline. Um, but I think the easiest way I could describe it is uh, if, if playing my game feels like a group of people getting together around a Ouija board, that's kind of what I'm going for. Um, and some of the stuff around it works that way. It's 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 all about communication. It's it's a role-playing game in the traditional sense like D&D, but where the mechanics are stripped back to the point that you don't have to overcomplicate things in your head. 
you're not having to pull yourself out of the world to do a bunch of maths necessarily. Uh, it's much more narratively driven. And then the other part of it would be, um, so that's like the, the overall concept. That's what how what my like concept for how I want the game to work. The other part is like the uh, the world and the the ways I want to uh, express it. The 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 board the tabletop game is part of it, um, but I I'm planning I'm building this as a as an IP that I can do other stuff with. Um, like I fully intend to have a, a short film as part of the release, um, hmm. the Kickstarter that I'll inevitably do in 2022, probably. I think that's probably said that, but that's roughly what I'm looking to release it. Um, we'll have like a, a teaser, like film as part of it. Other, other things like that. Like I have big, basically big ideas beyond just the board game and I'm, the tabletop game. Uh, and I'm kind of planning that stuff as well. Um, it's the kind of thing I would love to see turn into, you know, a series or uh, books, things like that. I'm trying to develop a world that is interesting enough, hopefully, um, with, you know, especially once I start bringing on more writers to work with me, um, that hopefully we can do that kind of stuff. You know? so. That sounds like you have a lot of uh, uh, coals in the fire. You're not just going for a tabletop RPG. You're going for basically a whole franchise. Is uh, that something that you expect hmm. to be able to monetize every aspect of it, or is it just a matter of building it up as a whole and maybe some of it be uh, more successfully monetized than others? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, everything can be monetized, but it's like choosing where to do that. It's kind of the same way that my Twitch channel works. It's like, where do you, where do you give away stuff for free? Where do you hopefully like try and encourage people to subscribe? Um, like the the table, the the the, the role playing game itself will obviously be a paid for thing, but if I can supplement that with additional content that is free, I would love to do that. Um, I, in terms of like all different calls, like my attention right now is a hundred percent on just developing a world, um, and like that's why it's taking so long. You know, there's not even much art. I've barely done any art for this project um, because I'm mostly intending to hire people to do the art for it, um, as well as obviously doing some stuff myself um, and doing like the kind of art direction concepts myself. Um, so um, building the world kind of comes first, then the game is my real priority. Um, but I think it's more a case of just having that other stuff in your head, you know, the whole time. Like I, I reach out to people if I if I feel like I've, I've talked to the, the Castlevania guys briefly. Um, I've talked to different people in different places, different industries, to almost to like express that like I'm working on this thing, I feel like it could have legs here. Let's be contacts. You know, this is stuff we can talk about in the future once I make millions off this project, which of course won't happen. But hopefully, hopefully it'll do well enough that I can keep making. It. Honestly, like all I really want to do, um, and this is very much a thread in my streams and in everything, is have the financial backing to be able to just make stuff. Because, like I said several times in this. Making stuff is the thing that makes me happy, and like, I love being transparent about things. I love being transparent about all the stuff that I've struggled with over the years. And you know, if I can help people avoid making the mistakes that I've made over the years as as an artist, um, and if I can just keep making stuff that people like, I'd be really happy. And hopefully, Pelt Hides for me is like the first part of that, the first big part of that, like the first big Kickstarter that I do where I hope to 
hopefully make money, you know, so that I can make more stuff in that universe and so I can really start building this thing out. And, you know, in 10 years or five, five years, in five years, we'll have the Peltides movie, you know, like, like that, that, you know, I, I'm always trying to think uh, 10 steps ahead. I will say part of that is just that my background as an art director and a concert artist is always very closely tied to marketing. So I have a, quite a lot of experience working, doing marketing for games, uh, working with marketers and um, being a person who plays games myself and who knows what I want. So if I can try and make something, you know, that has legs, uh, that appeals to me, you know, that seems like an okay thing to do, <laughs> I think. So I can uh, think off the top of my head, like five or six friends that have their own IP that they're hoping to be able to monetize and make it be worth financially the effort they're putting into it. Uh, what are some reasonable avenues that people can, you know, monetize their uh, their IP? Um, I mean, I guess Patreon is a very common one now. Um, I think a combination of Patreon and Twitter is probably the way to go for that kind of stuff. Um, Gumroad as well, obviously, is is good. Coffee, coffee. Kofi, yeah, Kofi. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad Kofi. that, that you exactly. don't know how to pronounce it either. <laughs> I have no idea, <laughs> but I know that they are doing a kind of Gumroad esque thing as well. I, I don't know if that's launched. Um, I, I don't know that I've talked to them about it before. Um, there is definitely ways to monetize this stuff. A lot of it probably uh, rotates around having some social presence. You know, I think if you're trying to launch a new IP and you don't have anyone following your work, like you're, it's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> you know, I, I think you need to be developing both. Uh, I think I think it's worthwhile as as part of this a mild tangent. Like, if you're not comfortable with marketing your work or you don't really know how to, um, that's fine. You can absolutely learn. I mean, I had to learn the hard way, which is just like trying shit out, like. If I tweet this, what happens? Okay, what if I tweet this in 12 hours? Is that better? Oh, that's mm. better. Okay, that's when I do. It's a lot of trial and error. Um, but I would say, like, all artists could probably benefit from doing a marketing course or something. Um, I think a lot of us maybe struggle with the idea that it's, like, you know, uh, a bit snake oily or, or that knowing these things is maybe bad. But, like, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's really good to know to understand the market you know it doesn't mean you have to exploit it um that's always been my thing you know uh, uh i i have confidence that my project will be successful because of experience i have launching products for other people for a long time um and that is just gained through doing it um, but you could probably learn a lot of that if you did a course or something yeah, we've been having a lot of uh, people come on to talk to us about marketing, whether it was uh, Brian, the uh, director of marketing for D&D, or uh, Farley Creates, who was a few months ago, uh, or uh, Rainin. I, I, I'm already forgetting how to pronounce her name correctly. But... Rangin. It was our, our <laughs> role. Rangin. But yeah, yeah they, our, the ep, our fifth episode, I think it was, was Brian, and we titled it "Marketing is not a dirty word" for exactly the reason that you were just mentioning. You know that people start feeling yeah. skeezy anytime the the word the word marketing or networking. You know, like these are yeah. terms that I guess it would be nice if we had 
different terms for, but then I think also it, maybe it doesn't matter because once you start talking about monetizing something and making money from it, there's a certain amount of people, a certain percentage of people that are just going to automatically think that they're going to think the worst of you. And then, you know, it's like a very cynical reaction that they have that you're just trying to, you know, exploit people, but it's like, uh, Oh, you're providing a service. You're doing something. You're creating something. You're putting literal blood, sweat, and tears into it. You know, it's yeah. it's it's okay to be like this anyway. Side. I think it's side, difficult as well because no, I, I think it's really important to talk about that stuff. Like, honestly, um, it's something I I try and talk about a lot. Is like people aren't people for the most part aren't aware of the worth of art or maybe maybe not even the worth of art but aren't necessarily aware even like what you can earn as an artist i think whenever you have these like this is how much artists should charge conversations people do get thrown off by it because people at the top charge a lot of money for art like i i've worked with artists who charge way more than i do and like they can because they have those skills but like if you've just started doing art you know you're one of these you like you know you've been working freelance on the side for like two years and you're charging fifty dollars for a full illustration and you have some pro with 15 20 years in the industry come and be like i only work for five thousand dollars but like i get it i get the reaction you're just like what the who the fuck is this guy how do you know how do they feel they can do that um and, and a lot of it is just education like it's just like teaching people that like fifty dollars is nothing you know, for what you're doing. You need to, finding how much you can charge and how much you should charge and learning how to navigate towards that so you're paid fairly, like not so that you're overcharging. Like, so you're being paid fairly for the skills that you've made over the years. It's like really, really important. And it's, um, and it gets back to the discourse thing. You know, that's why we have so much discourse around pricing because a lot of students can't even imagine like if you sit down and say, by the way, if you become a lead concept artist at Riot, you, which you could do, like my friend Eflam went and did that in like five years, you know, you, you could be paid 120K, no worries, you know? <laughs> and they're like, you know, I can't even imagine being paid that kind of money to work in a studio. And I'm, I, I know that's a thing. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a whole, it's a whole thing. Um, yeah. I have a hard time convincing people that $30 an hour is still like bottom tier not even something you should strive for it's something that you should start with sure yeah it's it it's i think it is it's just a difficult topic because everyone has such a different background um different levels of privilege everywhere of course um and also the industry is very fickle and that's something we have to fight as well Um, there are a lot of studios there's a lot of clients who are not paying what they could be paying. There's a lot of clients that I work with sometimes who could be paying a lot more than they are paying, who've not necessarily upped their rates in a long time. Um, there are some clients, some studios, I don't know if I'm allowed to name names name here, so I'm just dancing around yes. it. But there's totally. certain studios that make games like that rhyme with like laugh minder that pay absolute trash. Uh, I expect work on the same quality level as D and and yeah, we've talked about that before. It's totally fine. We know Pathfinder yeah. pays terribly. Uh, there's a company that I'm not going to name names because uh, I don't want to even give them publicity. Mm-hmm. They pay $25 per illustration. Yeah, that sounds like a thing. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's fucked. It's completely fucked. Um, yeah, and, it, and the problem is, it muddies the water around these discussions. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's what I was just thinking. Yeah. Is it, it, this goes back to just not knowing what people are talking about? You know, <laughs> and it's like that's just because there are yeah. there is evidence of low paying doesn't mean that that is the you know objective that you should be striving for the thing to expect there's a broader context that that is happening within and you have to know what that is and yeah it's uh, you know yeah, the, and the, and the twitter it's, conversation it's, again it's so, not that you're not getting that information on twitter most of the time so or if you are it's getting shut down and like there's it's getting subtweeted and those artists are being abused for telling people how it works um which has happened more often than not recently you know artists trying to give out reasonable advice just getting abused basically um yeah it's really complex and it's something that's very difficult to navigate um what one of the topics i i try and talk about um in regards to this stuff is like learning to weigh up the value of taking that bad paying job versus spending that time working on your portfolio so you can get better work yeah um yeah. and that's you know, the, again, a lot of this stuff, I can't give the advice because it's so situational. You know, if you're struggling to make rent or you're struggling to afford food, fucking sure, take on that 25 bucks job if it helps, if it gets you through it. But just don't expect that or just don't accept that that is the norm and don't ex accept that you might, you'd probably be better off spending that time working on that folio piece for what at Humblewood, for Hearthstone, for mm -hmm. for D D so that you can get a, a good job because <laughs> ultimately those people are just taking advantage of you. Um, yeah. I, I think that that's really key. What you said, you know, like take it if that's your situation and that's what you have to do to survive, but don't, don't yeah. just roll over and accept that that's the way that things are always going to be. You know, think about your plumber, you know, like how much does your, ask your plumber how much he gets paid, <laughs> you know? And then, yeah. and, and not, not, not to uh, plumbers are, are, it's an, awesome respectable gig i'm not trying to shit on plumbers but that's a weekend course you know what i mean like you can learn to be a plumber relatively quickly how long did it take you to learn how to be an artist that was good enough to work at you know top level studios yeah, Are, and, exactly. and 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 how much more do you have yet to learn now think about how unfair it is that your plumber is getting paid more than you are. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fucked <laughs> to to put it bluntly. Um, and again, I speak as someone who has taken a lot of low paying jobs, as someone who worked for free for a year because someone took advantage of me for a long time. Um, it's it's difficult to navigate this stuff, but as so long as you do what you just said and just remind yourself that it doesn't have to be that way, and that it's fine to turn down a job. It's not turning down a job from some random client who wants you to do D and D portraits. Isn't going to damage your career. Turning down a job from Pathfinder isn't going to damage your career. Now there is something to be said for having those names on the CV. And for me, that's when the, that's when I have to start weighing stuff up. And this is a, something I will, this is something that a lot of people will completely disagree with me on. And I completely understand why I really understand that perspective. But for me, almost as important as having stuff in my portfolio has been having like client names that are valuable. Um, 
because even if I don't like the work I did, at least I can still say I worked on this thing. Um, and so occasionally I will take a cut if I'm like, you know what, if I'm in a position where I can get through this stupid like two week thing and like get paid garbage, but it's for this Star Wars thing, at least I can then forevermore say, I did work on a Star Wars thing. And I can also glam it up and make it sound way better. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's something to be said for that. But again, it's, it's just dependent on your position, how comfortable you are. Um, I always recommend that new artists who are starting out just get a retail job. You know, work weekends, work however much you need that you don't have to rely on the income from your art. Because, um, I, I mean, that's what I did for the first, like, three years of my career when I was starting out. I started freelancing straight out of university because I had a, a portfolio already. Um, but I just had to go and work in a shop so I could afford to pay my rent and to get food. Um, and so that I wouldn't have to be devastatingly stressed all the time as a new artist trying to make a living as a freelancer because it's really hard. Um, it usually takes three to five years for most people to start getting like comfortable income. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, that was the case for me, for sure. And part of this too, I think ties into what you've said about indie versus AAA studios, you know, that even amongst like the indie or the, I, I put, lower tier and scare quotes you know that like pathfinder isn't the end all be all either as far as like accepting a gig for um exposure you know it, it being paid in exposure bucks like there's there's lots of other shout out hunters entertainment you know i've been doing uh freelance for them and they pay very well and they've put out respectable games that you know like maybe they don't have you know the uh um credibility or or whatever of you know larger types yeah but on a on a resume it's it's for all intents and purposes it's gonna look just as good you know like that's yeah that's legit so like just by yeah. you know what you all of what you've heard of you know places that you can apply to and they're not such great paying well don't think that's the end again that's not the end of the story more yeah. more information is needed and also, chances are the work you do for that studio is better than you would for Pathfinder because you're enjoying it. <laughs> you know, there's a yeah. huge difference between working for a client who is really nice to you and awesome to work with, and a client who's shitty. Um, yeah, knowing that your work is Pathfinder being appreciated. Because I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure their ads are, are really awesome. I, I I know a lot of people who worked on Pathfinder, and I don't bemoan that at all because again, no art director ever wants to underpay an artist, and I can guarantee that they have these same problems and these same arguments all the time internally. Um, it's almost never the, the art director's call. Um, but yeah, like you know, working for a smaller company, work for any company is fine, <laughs> you know, as long as it it gets you making art, you know. Uh, you, for the first few years of your, your career, first few years of your career, you're not going to be making big bucks necessarily. But if you can make some money and also develop your portfolio and keep moving forwards, then it seems okay to me. <laughs> um, yeah. So I know some people are actually trying to actively uh, get away from doing freelance work or um, working for a company, like as in this side of studio. And one of the ways they're doing this is through generating their IP, uh, creating an IP and then trying to make like tabletop RPG products or comics or 
whatever else that I can think of, like selling prints, etc. cetera. Uh, what advice mm -hmm. would you give to uh, these people for one, trying to make their, uh, their IP stand out amongst the sea of IPs that people are creating and trying to pitch? And two, like, how do you actually make people like pay for it? Like, uh, I know you said Patreon, mm -hmm. but how do you actually make them take the next step? Care Buy and care enough to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's the, that's the, the golden ticket. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's tough. Uh, uh, hmm. To the, to the, how to get people to, to pay for it part. I mean, it, it just needs to be, oh, sorry, okay. To the first part then, how to, how to make it stand out, make it stand out. Don't make a D and D clone. Like ninety percent of product projects I see are just like D and D, but one of the elf races is blue. Um, you're gonna have a really hard time selling that product because D and D exists and it's already very good. Um, if your vision is D and D but with blue elves and a complete overhaul, like a really fresh system that's really different, that could sell, you know. Um, or if it's if it's a D and D esque system, the world is totally unique and like really, really interesting, that can work. Um, try and make something that's somehow unique or stands on its own. Um, like Peltides is a good example of, you know, coming, like the, the challenges I've had going through that exact process are, you know, what what is what are the unique parts of my game? What are the pillars? And it's like, like a level of accessibility and player and, and the consistency in the, in the rule system that I've never seen in an RPG. That's interesting. It's not necessarily unique, but it's definitely like a pillar. Um, creating a world that is unique, that's that's important. It needs to look unique, and that needs to play through the presentation. It needs to play through the, the way the art is represented, the cover, the typeface, the, the way it needs to evoke something I haven't seen in a game before. Um, and that's something I spent a long time messing around with. Like, what is that? And it's like, is it just Bloodborne? And has Bloodborne been done in a role-playing You know, like, it's looking for those those threads um, to find something unique. So it's like, so that's definitely the first part is like, you do need to make it stand out. Um, the second part of that is obviously it needs to be high enough quality in whatever way that manifests, whether it's, you know, if you're just doing like an IP, you're doing an art book, the art needs to be good. It needs to be good enough at least that people want to buy it. Um, and the only way you can gauge that really is if you put it out on the internet and gauge reactions from people <laughs> and uh, ask your friends and family, probably not your family, but ask your friends very serious questions about like, I need you to tell me if this is good and be prepared for them to say it is, but, and to take that on board and to develop it. Because if your work is not at the level it needs to be at for, to express whatever it is you want to express, then you might have trouble selling it to other people. Um, it's very difficult to get around that because your friends are always going to be biased and don't want to hurt your feelings and don't necessarily want to take on the sort of emotional burden of giving you critique if, if you're not necessarily prepared to take it. But um, I think that's really, really important. It's, it's uh, So yeah, it's creating something unique as much as you can um, or at least something that's aspirational or something you know people will want. And that is, that's going to come from research. That's going to come from looking at other products. It's going to come from looking at games that do well and why looking at games that you like and why they're successful and finding that thing, that thread, that glowing orb of whatever that is, that is the cool thing that you can put into your game. 
Um, maybe it's taking an idea from another game that you've played that you've never seen represented. Maybe you love Stalker. You love the game Stalker, and you're like, I want to make a Stalker-esque RPG. I've never seen that done. That can work. Um, and, yeah, making sure you have the skills to make the damn thing. And then finally, making sure you can follow through and advertise it, um, which means can you make the product at all? Um, that's a big question. <laughs> Do you know how to put it on the internet and make people see it? That's a thing you have to tackle. Um, but I think those three things are kind of the stuff you need to make a, a product successful, really. So you mentioned before having some experience in marketing, and I imagine that you will be putting a lot of that experience into play over the course of the coming months in, in developing this and promoting it. Yeah. Will you also in the course of that, make a Gumroad tutorial for the rest of us <laughs> so that we On can... On the marketing part? <laughs> yes. Yes, I can oh. do that. <laughs> uh, I mean, actually, like, I, I would really enjoy doing that kind of thing. That'd be really fun. I think that would um, be awesome. I, I, I consider this my personal request for such a thing. But in the meantime, <laughs> in the meantime, um, do you plan on like building the whole thing and then just like making a launch of one huge product or do you foresee smaller products that you will create as lead ups to the fully realized? Um, so for PT specifically, I'm not sure if this will answer your question. I I'm not going to be selling anything before the game comes out, if that makes sense. Um, my plan is very much circum as circum. What? I, I'm forgetting words tonight. It can change. It can change. It's very likely to change. Um, and also, for all of my experience in marketing, I'll probably be bringing on a marketing expert to work with me on it um, to help me like plan for the launch. Um, just because I've I've done that in the past. On I've worked on projects in the past where we brought on someone really experienced. Um, and it was fascinating watching, like, that process. And, um, you know, my process is always bring on people who are better than you and try and work with them or learn from them. Um, but what I will be doing is it will be kickstarted for sure, um, just because I like that kind of energy. And I will be releasing stuff in the run-up to it to start. You know, like a lot of the conversations I'm having around pill ties right now are very much like early kind of taster. You know, here's some things, here's some themes, here's get your brains working and, and, and kind of whet appetites early so that once I start hinting at things, um, I'm not sure what, what how that's going to work yet, whether it will be art-based art or writing-based or video-based, I'm not really sure. Um, but I'll probably start leaving a, a bread trail at a certain point, right, a breadcrumb trail, um, towards the Kickstarter that will start to build up more and more an idea of what this thing is. I, I just, I, I mean, again, this is just like my taste in marketing. I enjoy that. I don't like seeing too much at once. I want, I want little, little things to kind of latch onto. That I'm like, what is this thing? You know, because I'm, I'm thinking my peers all know this thing. You know, you, you guys know this thing. The people watching, you know. Some of them have heard this heard of this project. I'm trying to think of like everyone else in the world who doesn't follow my Twitter. Um, you know, what what are the things that get people excited? What's the energy of my project, and how do I 
start leaving those little pieces to get people excited to build up interest um, so that over time I can leverage you know my kind of social clout or whatever to make more eyeballs you know it's like the is sour on people just slowly start <laughs> to turn towards this project so that when I launch the Kickstarter um, they can't escape I don't know where to go with this analogy anymore <laughs> but uh yeah. Does that answer it? I, I don't, it's not really like mm -hmm. a different products. Um, the product will be a Kickstarter, but there will be more that will sp spurt off from that. Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely does does answer. I, I get a bit, a little bit of yes and a little bit of no from it. Um, but I, one thing mm -hmm. I, I wanted to just comment on and that I think is interesting is that you know it might be tempting from an outsider's point of view to think like, oh, well, he's Paul Canavan. He's won awards. He's he's worked on Warhammer and Magic. And of course, his thing is going to be successful. But even you are thinking about how much further in advance you have to start prepping the um, the lead up to it. So yeah. it's not this thing that you're walk just like stepping into. I'm Paul Canavan. Buy my thing. You know, like, so if I'm you just some artist. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. I don't think of myself as special in that. No, way, so. no, yeah, yeah, and and yeah. I, I I give you that due credit. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, if I, I, an outsider looking in might think that it, sure. it it appeared one day and it was nothing but you know your capital, you know, like leveraging your social capital or whatever. But it takes it takes yeah. a lot of work. You know, so yeah. yeah, I think I think no, no matter who you are, it's the same process, really. You know, producing. The only the advantages I have built up over the years are just like contacts and visibility, um, and those are really important. And I, I actually do. I have some friends who are working on RPG projects that they aren't. They 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 don't have that. Um, they don't share their stuff online very much. They don't really have a kind of uh, community or a following or anything like that and like i think that will be really hard for them when they come to launch it um bill I, I i don't think building a social presence is everything but it is really 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 useful um because it means that like the potential eyeballs you can have on your project are you know obviously a lot more than if i had 500 followers on on you know which is a lot of people <laughs> 500 followers is a lot of people on on twitter or 200 you know it's lots of people um and it's more to do with like how engaged they are and, and stuff and how much you engage them. But if those people aren't, if you're never posting anything and you're never engaging with anyone, then like that number is kind of meaningless, honestly. Um, I try and like, uh, I try and be as, as quite busy on social stuff and try and talk to people and try and share stuff because, you know, I want them to like my thing, <laughs> you know, and it's not because I want them to buy the thing either. It's just that, like, I genuinely want people to be interested in stuff. And I like interacting with people who are interested in stuff that I do because it's exciting for me. Um, again, total tangent. I'm all about tangents today. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, th I think no matter your level of social clout or whatever, the process of building the product is the same. And I think people should look to the future for their thing. Um, but uh, it definitely does help, for sure. It helps a lot, um, and I'm not immune to that. I really I do believe that it does help a lot. I have a huge advantage over a lot of artists just because I've spent the last nine years, you know, building this Twitter <laughs> profile or whatever, you know, working on these projects and working my ass off to get these names on that attract more eyeballs that hopefully over time 
create a community of people who care about the stuff that I make, which is all I really want, really. I don't think there's anything such thing as a tangent in this conversation because it's all different <laughs> strands of the same web, right? It's there's yeah, so many yeah. things to consider in this. Yeah, totally. And it's all fun. It's fun to kind of weave in and out, um, for sure. Yeah, and and it, the it's fun too to see how they tie together, and even from like other episodes, things that get covered again in different ways, and from as by way of different subjects. You know, that's it's all. I don't know. There's it's just a fascinating arena to play around in and think about. So. Yeah, it's you can't help but go on tangents. <laughs> it's like trying to cover. Well, you guys have made a really cool thing, you know. Like it's, I I, I love having the opportunity to talk about this kind of stuff, and I think you've both done an amazing job building this. Um, and it it's it becomes an invaluable resource, kind of in the way we were talking about earlier. Again, with the discourse thing, it's it's very easy for someone to drop a quick tweet and to to judge it, but like when you're watching someone talk about something they're passionate about, and they say a thing, and then you're like, oh this thing keeps coming up, <laughs> you know, different artists keep saying the same thing about wages. Maybe it's true. Like it just has more inherent weight than that tweet did. Um, so I, I think you're generating really positive discourses through doing this kind of stuff. Um, again, it's a huge pleasure to be here. I really enjoy it. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time. Um, we might be coming up at the end unless Moose has any finalized follow-up questions sure there's a few quick things we can hit on because i know we are like what what 2 a.m your time or something like that but uh oh, oh, God bless. no it's midnight it's fine no, I'm god good. bless you sir <laughs> all right cool go for a bit more <laughs> um so you mentioned wanting to do kickstarter and when we had a uh, jb and uh andreas on our second episode they're the two of the uh top best-selling uh tabletop rpg supplement creators they mentioned mm. that kickstarter these days is more of a kick finisher and that yes. the old days you could uh, just announce that you have a cool idea for a project and people would fund it. Now they basically want it done and they're going to be basically buying it on Kickstarter. Is How does that factor into your uh, planning with Kickstarter? So um, I haven't announced it officially because you know it's not, it's not official official yet, but I'm probably going to be working with a publisher to do the Kickstarter. And we are kind of already... Um, we kind of are, it's, it's someone who's is a publisher who's done a lot of very successful Kickstarters. So, excuse me, that that was kind of already factored in for me. Um, I've worked on a few Kickstarter projects before, and I think for me, honestly, it's just that I like the platform. I like the ease of use. I like the kind of ubiquity of it. I like um, the process and the excitement. Um, I don't. I, maybe I don't need to. Maybe I could find other revenues, um, but. For me, it's just like there's something exciting about Kickstarter. I still find it exciting and, and vibrant. Um, I do agree that that is more often the case. I think for me, what I'll probably be doing is uh, working up like a, a working sample of the game, probably giving that away for free so that people can try it, try the game, try out the rule system, try a scenario um, before they commit to a Kickstarter purchase and then use the funds to finish it, You know, basically, like you said. Um, yeah, I, again, it's it's kind of like a, I just like Kickstarter. I really enjoy it. I find it a fun platform, and because it's, it's my product, like I kind of want to embrace the things that I enjoy. And uh, two more rapid, quick questions. These are from chat. Uh, one yeah. was, what are your thoughts on Instagram for artists? I know we touched on Twitter, but 
I think it's shit. <laughs> no, <laughs> That's I, true. I, I don't understand Instagram. So. <laughs> and it, they just I, update their terms and service so yeah. that now they can look at your other accounts on your computer, including your bank account. It's all sorts of crazy shit. Hello. Yeah, I I don't understand Instagram. I never really. I've tried it as an artist, but I, I always found it obtuse and to say the least. Yeah, needless. Yeah, just needlessly difficult to work out how to build a community. I also don't like the lack of permanence. Like, I mean, it has permanence, but it just feels differently represented than Twitter. Twitter is very easy to click on someone's page and just see their slew of consciousness. With Instagram, it's much slower. It's much more curated, and it feels a lot more fake to me. Maybe that's just because I have more experience with Twitter. Um, but I don't like Instagram for art, honestly. I my Instagram is just like a personal account where I just post pictures of my food and like any <laughs> dogs I've patted recently. And I personally uninstalled Instagram from my phone after reading the terms of service update. So yeah, that's gross. there's that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, final question, unless Joby has anything else aside from the uh, typical final question. Um, can you speak to any of the positive experiences you've had during crunch while working at a studio or for a studio? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, oh, okay. Just to back up then, I guess <clears throat> we're going to be talking about crunch. Crunch is a problem in all studios. Um, anytime you see an article about like rockstar has crazy crunch, it's like, so does every AAA studio. They all do. It's never intended. It's usually just a, a just a kind of, a coalescent of, of coalescent. I'm using a lot of weird words now. It's usually like a kind of combination of uh, uh, feature creep, which is a very common thing on games. Obviously, like more stuff gets added over time. Publishers being difficult, cutting away time, or trying to be, get as much as they can out of an already tight budget, and sometimes just production being bad. It's usually not production being bad. It's usually production trying their best to squeeze a complicated product into a short time span. Um, but it is an inevitability on projects. In terms of positive experiences I've had with Crunch, um, a lot of my experiences with Crunch have been really positive. Uh, mainly, mainly I'm thinking of like smaller projects. So for people who aren't necessarily aware, I mean, we're all, we all crunch anyway as artists, whether you think about it that way or not. You know, you're, you've got an illustration due on Monday, you've put it off until Friday and now it's like, oh my God, crap. And you've got all this mad energy and you have this like horrible, stressful dash. You hand the damn thing in and you like feel amazing and then you go to sleep or what, you know, however you feel like that's, that's crunch, right? And that thing happens in games a lot, like I said. Um, and the difference is it's that shared experience. So it's that plus 12 of your mates who are in the same position. And I actually have, as probably as a workaholic, have often really enjoyed that and kind of thrived on it. Like the whole, you get to 6 p.m. and you, and it's on Friday and you like look around at your team and you're like, we need to like ship this thing on Monday. Is anyone up for coming in tomorrow? And like maybe a bunch of you, you know, this is the ideal version of Crunch, by the way, that I'm expressing. Um, this isn't the norm necessarily. And I'll talk about that in a sec because, you know, end the podcast on a positive. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, um, you know, that, that version of it is great, where it's like, I come in on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, all right. And, and like a bunch of you come in the next day and you order pizzas a lot of time, you work through the day. And it's just like often quite a fun, weird, stressful experience. So I've, I've like I said, I've had good experiences. It's not always like that. 
Sometimes it's mandated. Sometimes it goes on for a very long time. That just sucks. Um, right. But in terms of positives, like quite often it does feel like just getting a bunch of your mates together. It's almost like like a LAN party with your mates back in the two thousands, except you're you're working. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one last thing before Joby does the final question. Uh, could you pitch your uh, stream? Like, when is it? Uh, what do you do on there? And your podcast? Why would he want to watch that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, I stream on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Paul Canavan. You can also go to nicefriend.club. Both of those will take you to the stream. Um, I stream uh, several times a week. Monday and Friday, I do a stream called Study Buddies, which you may have seen on Twitter. It's an excuse for me and everyone to kind of get together and do some studies. You can just come and watch me paint if you want, or better yet, join in. Um, I pick a bunch of study topics every week, and we kind of do them together share them online it's very fun um i also do just personal excuse me personal work uh streams where i just stream maybe my process behind working on a magic card or maybe if i'm developing a a new project i'll just stream the whole process you want to see me developing a alien ip that's kind of what i'm doing right now and that's usually on wednesdays and sometimes on sundays um i also have a discord uh link to which is in the twitch and i mentioned that because the two are very tightly linked with a lovely lovely community and uh i highly recommend you join the discord if you're going to get involved with the twitch streams so yeah monday wednesday friday sometimes sunday is kind of my my schedule um i do do a podcast do do a podcast uh called the nice friend show it's a little bit intimate right now i think it's like roughly once a month uh where i interview art and creative friends uh from the industry i've had done one with anna hollenrake uh, I've done one with Jay Axler from Blizzard, Carla Ortiz, the Marvel and Star Wars. Um, and I have a whole bunch of guests coming up, including, uh, I need to nail down times, but Matt Nava, art director of Journey. Um, Matt Mercer is going to come on at some point. Um, and just a whole bunch of artists that I you know, know and respect or would love to talk to. So, yeah, that's that. And that's usually on Thursdays. But uh, it just depends when the next episode is. I think... The next episode may be with Carmen Sinek, a uh, magic artist and uh, incredible shit talker, uh, but I don't know for sure. But follow me on Twitter, uh, at TheBigBat, if you want updates on when that stuff is. Or again, do the Discord thing. All of your links and information, too, will be in the show notes. So definitely, if you're listening to this, scroll down on whatever platform you're on and chop all those up. Um, Paul, we just have one more question for you. What's something that's yes. happening in the world right now that you're excited about? Oh my god, that's a huge question. Why would you ask? Video <laughs> games are happening right now. That's all I care about. Ah, there you go. What <laughs> video game are the you? New WoW expansion. Okay. Uh, Shadowlands. The new Shadowlands expansion is amazing. I'm playing a lot of Shadowlands. Um, what else is happening in the world? Uh, uh, my community is really nice. <laughs> that's getting me through this 20 I like how, got me through 2020 i like how this question gave you panic <laughs> yeah I'm like, oh God, what is good i don't know uh but yeah no honestly streaming my community and wow um are getting me through a lot of hard times right now so i love you all mwah, mwah, to those of you who are here um and also talking on this show has been really really lovely so i appreciate this a lot Fantastic, man. Thank you so much. Um, it's been 
excellent on so many levels. And I really, really appreciate the time because you are so busy. Um, we both appreciate the time. Um, and I think that it would be really great uh, to catch up with you again in a, in a few months to a year, you know, depending on the, uh, the approach of this project and your Kickstarter and talk to you a little bit more about, you know, what's happening there. Cause there's going to be a lot of themes, I think in that, that are always yeah. worth going over again. And, uh, yeah, definitely get a signal to. boost. Really on that. All right, cool. Well, a wave goodbye and hit the end on this record. Thank you, man.